Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9am on Cork's Red FM. And the lines are open at one 850 You can text 0868-104-106. Just before I came on this morning, because most of the front pages are talking about things related to uh, COVID-19, uh, but the numbers and the figures change, and I will get to the headlines of the papers in a second or two, but the uh, interesting summary that you can get almost, almost hourly now, certainly, uh, you know, every few hours in the HSE is the amount of people that uh, are either in critical care units or on ventilators in Ireland. So I'm giving you these figures ahead of the papers because they're updated since the papers went to press. But they're saying there's 19 people uh, on ventilators in Ireland now and there are 30 cases in critical care units. Uh, they also break it down into very worrying statistics actually with regards to the amount of available general beds in, in Ireland uh, and indeed here in Cork. The COH apparently has three available general beds. Could you believe that three? The Mercy has four available beds. And across the country, the number of available general beds in hospitals, this is excluding the critical care numbers I just gave you, is 420, which is kind of scary. Uh, here we are in uh, the middle of October with the uh, winter ahead of us and what have you. So just bear that in mind. There's some of the stats and the numbers. They're saying that um, Zoom, the big story, of course, on, on Lisa this morning is the Zoom TD. Um, uh, it's the Fianna Fáil, uh, rising star James O'Connor pictured uh, Zoom driving. The 23-year-old Corkman, um, uh, very much earmarked apparently by Micheál Martin for big things, is in a bit of hot water now because he's confirmed that he, he took part in an online meeting uh, while he was driving. It's all very well to be chatting hands-free on your phone, but Zoom, of course, involves um, a screen and involves uh, video and you see all the other people who are also taking part. So people are cl- claiming that that's quite reckless. In fact, uh, one person said, um, a TD who was also in the chat at the time said, I thought someone had put up a video of James Corden in his karaoke carpool sketches. So that actually is uh, a, an offence, a motoring offence. It could lead to uh, penalty points and it could lead to a fine or maybe if the guards wanted to take it most seriously, you could end up in court with it. So that's the big story from Side this morning. Uh, then, of course, Ireland uh, hit by uh, 2,000 COVID cases right across the weekend. Uh, but they are saying uh, we're going to stay at level three. That's what Michal, Michal Martin has been saying chapter and verse the last couple of days is saying we can make level three work and it's a story in the echo this morning while uh, the beleaguered health minister Stephen Donnelly saying a lot of things he's saying there won't be one of these things called circuit breaker uh, the schools won't be uh, ext- extended with regards to a midterm break it'll be at a week and the reason he's saying is that because schools being open aren't contributing to the rise in COVID-19 cases so the Taoiseach is uh, saying we can make this work um, and he's actually he was alluding yesterday to the fact that we were seeing starting to see evidence of Dublin's infection rates dropping because of the restrictions that were put in Dublin much earlier than the rest of the country. So all of the papers talk of that this morning. Mind you, we had another mask protest in Dublin where hundreds clashed at the protest. Uh, fury as Gardy break it up. Um, well, I mean... It doesn't look good when you have uh, so many people gathering, uh, even though they have a right to protest, gathering in close proximity of each other. And then they're figuring how much is all of this costing to publicans, where they're saying around a quarter of publicans have racked up more than 20 grand in debt since they were forced to close down during lockdown. And that's the story from the star today. Papers also talk of um, issues relating to how long the virus can live. And this is a, there's a couple of international reports on this. The Times in the UK says that virus can live 28 days on phone screens. It can also live for a long, long time on banknotes. 
uh, as well as mobile phone screens, not to mention surfaces and what have you. Papers also then talk about a survey coming out of Canada that said the widespread wearing of face masks can almost half the spread of coronavirus. They did a study there. It reduces the infection and cross-infection by 46%. So for those that big figure that uh, masks don't do anything, uh, that's the latest bit of research there. Now we have all, all sorts of issues around the world that aren't COVID-related and certainly hunger and starvation hasn't gone around, gone away. And the Mirror this morning says that a new report says that still, in this day and age, millions of children are still dying from malnutrition and five and a half million kids a year are dying under the age of five around the world from hunger. Uh, and that is very, very sad. Yes, t- tomorrow we have the budget, of course, and many newspapers are speculating as to what kind of shape it will take. It will be a big spending budget, actually, particularly uh, in different areas like, um, you know, the economy, those that need it most, building of affordable housing. There's going to be any, there's going to be no reductions in taxation. There's going to be no reduction in USC or anything. But, um, but Pascal Donahue and Michael McGrath will be throwing an awful lot of money, something like 700 million, uh, on, uh, particularly on building, retrofitting social housing, building affordable housing and things like that, increasing garden numbers, uh, you know, employing more teachers, more special needs assistance, uh, things like that. So we'll have to see what it brings. But uh, a five billion euro budget super fund is uh, the total when you add up what's going to be spent to spend tomorrow. Five billion uh, to try and keep the economy afloat and try and get us through the winter and into the spring and out of this mess. Um, papers also talk, and because many people are wondering what's the story with Trick or Treat, got some emails on this yesterday, or on Friday, and I was saying, well, I don't think it's a good time really to be going traipsing from house to house. And of course, at the weekend then, uh, the Minister of Higher Education, Simon Harris, came out and said just that, that children should not be trick-or-treating uh, this Halloween. It's not a good idea to be traipsing around from house to house. Do you remember we would calls on the air then of people who took buses and taxis uh, to uh, the test centre? Um, uh, the examiner has an, an item on that with regards to Dublin where a woman has said that a woman displaying COVID-19 symptoms claims that she was actually advised by the HSE uh, to take a bus to her test centre because she didn't have private transport. Katrina Toomey makes the front of the Echo this morning. Cork Penny Dinners uh, frontline workers are saying uh, that they uh, that, that business owners are turning to her for food hampers after being hit by pandemic restrictions. So more and more are facing the struggle to uh, to buy food. I suppose what she's saying is that the self-employed now, people who were surviving and doing okay up until now, are now also looking for help. We'll know later today, hopefully we might know this morning, whether or not Ian Bailey will be extradited for France to France for the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Plantier. Ralph Regal this morning correctly states it's very different now because uh, Ian Bailey has been found guilty of murder in a French court. So this extradition... Uh, is different in in, the, in regards to this is the first time that it will have been up in the courts after a guilty uh, verdict. So the decision is expected this morning from the High Court whether or not the European arrest warrant will be endorsed. If it is, what happens then? One of the big stories regarding uh, our health system and COVID-19 is the amount of people who can't get tests or appointments or operations or scans for other critical illnesses. But in spite of that, the examiner this morning says that only one in 10 women have taken up invitations for cervical screening checks. They sent out apparently 110,000 letters since July. 
and only one in ten women have actually taken up the cervical check appointment. Now, I, I wonder what reasons. I mean, even when there wasn't COVID, there was a you know still a very worrying amount of women who weren't presenting for testing for that or indeed breast check. But I wonder if people are a little bit worried about going into hospital settings, and maybe that's one of the reasons why. There's a lot of other stories, particularly color ones, which I'll come back to throughout the course of the morning. But I want to turn to one story, right? The Neil Prendeville Show. And it's a story that made the newspapers at the weekend here on Leaside, where the Gardaí arrested a man for an, an allegation of over half a million in pension fraud. Now, when I saw the headline of this, I thought it was something to do with a pension company and an employee working within a pension company that was engaged in fraudulent activity. It wasn't that at all. This was somebody who apparently, it's alleged, was collecting pensions uh, on behalf of his late father since 1987. Best place for that story over the weekend was Barry Roach's coverage in the Irish Times, and he joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Good, thank you. What's the backstory to this? Yeah, uh, it came to light late on Friday afternoon. Uh, Gardaí sent out, or Garda Press sent out a statement saying that they'd arrested a man in Cork for questioning about an old age pension fraud. And as you said, when I saw it first of all, I'm oh, sorry, a pension fraud, when I saw it first of all, I thought, you know, fraud. White uh, collar, white collar, I suppose. White collar yeah. crime, or yeah. something like that. Well, I suppose technically it is as well, but it's, it's different in the sense that basically what it is, the allegation is that this 57 year old man from Cork, living in the North Side, continued collecting payments for his deceased parents for around 30 years. In the case of his father, we understand he went back to 1987. He continued collecting it, uh, I presume on a weekly basis, at the GPO. And his mother, who died some years later, he began collecting it for her as well. So the total amount that was collected over the time is €520,000, half a million, uh, for 33 years. Um, Gardaí arrested the man and it came to light apparently when you know when somebody hits 100 they get the centenarian's bounty from Michael D. Higgins and uh, President Higgins and a congratulatory letter but I think you have that, to prove that, that you're that, still alive at that point that's a payment isn't it how much is that payment it's 2,000 it used to be 1,000 but it's now gone up to 2,540 and you get a congratulatory letter signed by President Higgins on reaching 100 so the whole issue in this case came to light over that when apparently you have to prove the veracity of the person being alive and obviously alarm bells rang within the Department of, it's now the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection uh, used to be Social Welfare and they, there's a unit in Nungarda Shikana, I presume it's national but here, certainly it's here in Cork where there are a couple of Gardaí seconded the deal to work with the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection on fraud cases they were brought into the detective space in the Bridewell, they moved on Friday morning when this man was coming down to the GPO where he'd been collecting the pension for the last 33 years it would appear and uh, they arrested him he was brought to the Bridewell Garda Station where he was detained under Section 4 of the Criminal Justice Act and that allows Garda hold suspects for up to 24 hours in the meanwhile they carried out um, a search on his family home on the north side and they seized 9,800 in cash which they believe are the proceeds of his suspected fraud uh, Inspector Denny, Detective Inspector Danny Collin of Anglesey Street Garda Station said that Garda and the Department of Employment Affairs and Social Protection have a long-standing relationship which aims to target those who attempt to defraud the state and as I said they've been Garda to second from their regular guard duties to focus particularly on the social welfare. We've had a few cases come to court in recent times here in Cork uh, on foot of those guardy investigating them. But this man
man, as I say, was arrested. Uh, he's 57. He was held in the Bridewell. He was released late on Friday night, just around midnight, and uh, Gardaí say they're fit, preparing a file for the DPP. So uh, I presume it'll take some time to decide whether the DPP or for the DPP to decide whether to bring charges or yeah. not. But certainly... Um, it's an extraordinary story. And what would have, like, what's the, is there precedent to this, uh, like in the past, before the court? Yeah, I, I went, I, I, I have a recollection of a case in Cork. You know, you sort of think something might be five years ago and suddenly it turns out it was 15 years ago. So I have a recollection of one happening on the south side. I was trying to find it on Google, but uh, it, maybe it's pre-Google. I can't remember. But anyway, I found two cases uh, that came up on Google, both from Dublin. One from October 17th. A guy called Brian Bobby, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, he was 64 at the time. He admitted stealing almost 160,000 in benefits from the state between 97 2013, which is a, um, a 16 year period. Wow. Uh, he collected it and continued collecting his um, dead mother's pension. He started it, she died in May 97, and he stopped in October 2013 following an investigation by the Department of Social Welfare, as it was then. In total, he had stolen. 158,726 he hadn't repaid any he offered to repay at a rate of 50 euros a week the court heard that at that rate it would take him 63 years to repay it and just Judge Patricia this happened at Dublin Circuit Criminal Court Judge Patricia Ryan said the offer wasn't really sufficient and she jailed him for uh, 18 months for uh, for the, the offence I found another case from 2014 again in Dublin a guy called Richard Wiles he was 69 at the time he had been collecting his um late father's pension it came to light when the father was due to receive his presidential bonus the centenarian's bounty when he was approaching his 100th birthday but he'd actually died 11 years earlier in his late 80s Richard Wiles pleaded guilty to 41 sample counts of theft the sum there actually was quite small it was, well relatively speaking it was small it was puzzled it was 10,196 he'd actually given up his own social welfare he didn't want to claim in the double as it were so he was gaining about 50 quid a week more than what he'd been getting Why on his own social welfare statement he avoided a jail sentence, he got a two and a half years suspended sentence, but it was, as I say, it was suspended. So that was the other one. But um, as I say, I remember a case way back from Cork, but when I went Googling, there were some other bizarre things came up. There was a case in Japan where the family continued to pretend their father was alive, not to collect any social welfare payments, but for him to claim the record as Japan's oldest man. And uh, he was 108 on the record books, but he actually was dead at 89. And the bizarre thing was, uh, hopefully nobody's still having their breakfast, but he, they kept his mummified body at home. Oh, for dear me. 25 years or something like that. And just this morning, in, in terms of sort of other bizarre things, I was just listening to uh, Morning Ireland. They had a clip from Joe Duffy. A woman rang into live then last week to say that she had contacted some uh, agency or um, uh, service provider, didn't say what, but to tell them that she wanted to transfer the bill to her husband's name. And the person at the other end said, well, your husband will have to confirm that. Oh, sorry, that he died. And the person said, your husband will have to confirm that. So she said she put on a deep voice and pretended to be her dead husband <laughs> after telling him the husband was dead. And the uh, woman at the other end said, that's fine, thanks very much. <laughs> Hand me back to your wife. And then, you know, so... No, I don't believe that. Really, and I suppose the other, on a more serious note, I mean, you know, obviously the social welfare system has uh, been alerted to this case. But I mean, we've had situations here in Cork. We spoke of it last year, where social welfare systems, people's pension wasn't being collected, and and there was no alarm bells ringing.
upbringing. We, right. we took cases out in uh, the North City again where elderly men were left, um, unfortunately. Were, For long were, periods were, of time dead, yeah. yeah dead a yeah. long time, yeah. yeah. So um, this is sort of the converse of that. But certainly in terms of what I could find, nothing th- like 33 years and nothing like the sum of money involved. Happened. And that's 520,000. And again, this has to be proven in court. But uh, absolutely, you, absolutely. You, you, you can collect pensions on behalf of other people then, can you? It would appear so, yes, yes. That, uh, and I suppose the other thing that's noticeable here is that, uh, again, nobody's charged, nobody's convicted of anything, but he was collected from the GPO. He wasn't collected at his local post office on the north side, so presumably locals in his community would know that his parents were, were deceased. For his so he went to the GPO. But it, so you, and, and perhaps one would get away with it um, up until such time as the uh, centenary, the, the um, pay, payment from the, the, the president, president yeah. kicks in. Yeah, yeah, I mean... Uh, like, there's no one department talking to the other department, like, no? It would seem... Not, um, well, certainly this went on for 33 years. I mean, it's, I mean I'm working with the guy who's 57. So it's been on 33 years. He's been doing since he's 24, allegedly. You know, so, I mean, he's been collecting his parents' pension, or certainly his father's for pension... For 33 years. Than, for longer than, he's, than he wasn't, you know? It's a... It's a it's a, it's a strange one. It's, I mean, if it does come to court, or when it comes to court, if it does come to court, it certainly will be an interesting case to hear yeah. the exact details of yeah. it. But uh, just the figures were staggering. But as you say, when I saw it first of all, I thought it was in sort of some sort of internal white collar crime no. type no. pension thing, yeah. and I thought, okay. But then when you d- d- dug a bit deeper, deeper, the story emerged. Okay, well, just on a, thank you for that. Just as a, as a by the way, uh, what do you figure will happen with Ian Bailey this morning with regards to this extradition warrant? Well, it's actually two o'clock today. Uh, it, it's on, so um, I would be surprised if he, if the court granted the extradition warrant for him, uh, the Supreme Court ruling from two thousand and fourteen. Do you think that? The, do you think that it won't happen? It'll be rejected. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the issue, the, the one issue has changed. Obviously, the previous, uh, the ruling back in two thousand and fourteen found that the French French warrant didn't meet the criteria of. A, that it was for the purpose of charge, and B, this issue of reciprocity, that we have an equivalent in Irish law to the French... Uh, we don't have, yeah. We yeah. don't have. Yeah. They get over the issue of the charge, because, no, there's been a trial in France, and he's been convicted in his absence, so that issue can be set aside, so that isn't a problem for them, but the issue of reciprocity, I think, will be still for the French. I would be surprised, it's not to say... Um, it won't happen, but I'd be inclined to think he won't, the court won't uh, allow his extradition. We're then in the situation where does the state here uh, go to the Supreme Court to appeal it, which is quite possible. Uh, alternatively, as I say, I don't think he will be extradited, but if he does lose, then it's open to him to go to the Supreme Court, as happened back in 2000. And appeal it. Uh, yeah, appealed to the Supreme Court back in 2011. So whatever happens today, I don't think is the end of the road in that regard. But, um, It'll just be the judgment today, so I don't think any of the appeals stuff will be, um, there'll be no... Yeah, but either way, he won't be getting on a plane today or tomorrow, that's for sure. With, uh... Oh, no, he won't. And I mean, I was checking on Friday, I presume it's still going ahead. Obviously, Dublin is level three. There's still in court cases, I don't, for Matica gather on Friday. He was still scheduled to go ahead uh, today too. But um, and it, if it does, it'll be the judgment. I presume will be delivered relatively quickly. So let's see. No, I'd say by about half two. Well, let's see what happens. Time. Okay, as always, Barry. Thank you so much for taking the call. Have a good day today, Barry. Wrote Southern correspondent with the Irish Times, and we'll wait to see uh, what happens with regards to the fifty-seven-year-old man questioned about over half a million old-age pension uh, claims on behalf of his parents going back 
30 years on Lee side. Lines open at one 850 text 0868-104-106. There are other stories making the news and amongst them, Trump. Apparently at one stage, Donald Trump considered ripping open, open his shirt to reveal a Superman top as he was leaving hospital. I think he was talked out of it, but he wanted to wear the Superman blue, you know, the blue top with S in yellow and red in the middle of it, emblazoned in the logo. Uh, but apparently he got talked out of the idea just to prove that, you know, he, he really is the world's most incredible man, according to Donald Trump. Anybody watching the uh, the Comey report uh, with Brendan Gleeson, it's absolutely superb. It's on Sky Atlantic. It's, it's great to see an Irish actor doing so well in this role. And he really and re- truly nails it. It's well worth watching. Um, but with regards to Donald Trump, there was an interesting piece of video during the rounds of the weekend on Twitter. Now, clearly, I can just give you the audio version of it. But it just shows the comparison um, to how presidents handle themselves and present news and address the American public. And it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a mix between Donald Trump and how he handled things and Barack Obama and how he handled issues. It's about 56, 57 seconds long. Have a listen to this. The United States has conducted an operation that killed Osama bin Laden. Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi is dead. The United States launched a targeted operation against that compound. They did a lot of shooting and they did a lot of blasting. Even not going through the front door. You know, you think you go through the door. If you're a normal person, you say, knock, knock, may I come in? After a firefight, they killed Osama bin Laden and took custody of his body. He died like a dog. But his death does not mark the end of our effort. A beautiful dog. A talented dog. We give thanks for the men who carried out this operation. And I don't get any credit for this, but that's okay. I never do. But here we are. May God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. And I'm writing a book. I wrote 12 books. All very well. By the way, you think I bet you're smiling. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. A little later on this morning, I have a lovely conversation for you with Kay Healy. Kay is 87 and a half, and she stresses the half. 87 and a half. She began her nursing career back in Sarsfields Court in Glanmire in the 1950s. And she joined that hospital more or less straight out of uh, training college in London in her early 20s. And it was a sanatorium, uh, Sarsfields Court. It was opened in the 50s. Um, and it all had to do, of course, with TB. And a lovely conversation with her over the weekend. Remember, if you were listening Friday, it was a very bad phone line. So I said to Kay, listen, we'll do this later. I did it over the weekend. And it's a lovely conversation. Beautiful woman. And I'll come back to it a little later on this morning. But at the weekend, uh, I was up around Cork Airport. I was actually picking up some takeout food from the international Cork International Hotel. And they're thriving. And they've got a great big takeout business operating out of the hotel. But at the same time, I was up in and around the airport. And the, the outside multi-story car park absolutely empty clearly because there is very very little happening in Cork Airport I found it quite spooky actually and it got me thinking about whether or not Cork Airport can survive this financially and you got to wonder can Ryanair survive it financially can Aer Lingus do they have 
um, you know, a war chest of cash. And then I was wondering how many planes are actually flying? Where are we all with regards to refunds from Ryanair, Aer Lingus, EasyJet and all of the other airlines? What's the story on, um, you know, the green list? I think it's probably deleted of countries or depleted of countries, certainly. Um, by now. And I said we put a call into uh, Owen Corrie, a travel extra, and he joins me by phone. Owen, good morning. Good morning. A lot of, a lot of ground to cover. Where are we, incidentally, on the green list? Is that gone now? We'll work our way through most of those questions now, Neil, and as quickly as we can. The green list is should be coming to an end this week. Um, in fact, it, it came to an end last week when it, it merged. There was no more countries on it as of today. Um, what we are waiting for to see is what the Irish government does next. We signalled um, months after we first talked about this, like June, July, we were talking about the European Aviation Policy, Ireland ignoring it. But they signalled that on uh, tomorrow, Tuesday, October the 13th, they're going to, to align with the European Aviation Policy. The, it all sounds very good. Uh, the question is, is it as good as it sounds? The European Aviation Policy, very clear, agreed at the weekend by the heads of state. And there are three, four important metrics there. Traffic light system, green and amber, people travel with no restrictions. Red, uh, countries can impose restrictions like self-isolation like Ireland does. And a grey where they don't have enough information. They want to regionalise it so that the Canary Islands is not in with Spain. They also... Uh, are, are um, want to um, to make sure that people uh, that people arriving in airports uh, have um, are untreated. Uh, if you're arriving, let's say on the, the German flight into Frankfurt Airport from Dublin, that people who come from areas in Ireland that are not locked down, which we used to have, uh, they're segregated and not treated the same. And all, um, but they also want another metric, which is the number number of tests if it's more than 4% positive. That's important because some countries are testing more than others. Luxembourg is a great example. They have a population of 700,000. They've done 900 tests, 900,000 tests because so many people from outlying areas work there. They reach rate very high in the 14-day incidence charts. And one of the reasons is that the, the, people suspect that they've done so many tests. So that's what we're expecting them to align with. It should open uh, eight or nine countries but what I fear is what Heyman Ryan said last Tuesday or last Wednesday in the Rockdale's committee, that they only take one of the metrics and they'll say they're aligned with Europe, align with a bit of it and leave the rest. And what would that mean? Eight or nine countries under what? You say a green list, a red list, a grey list? Under, OK, in the case rates, uh, which some listeners have been following because they've, they've really come into play in the last six, seven weeks and are used in the green list, it's the cumulative incidents over the last 14 days. And each country, we would have had one of about four, and that's gone to 110. So each country seen those incident rates go higher. And when the aviation policy of Europe was proposed, 25 would qualify you for green and 50 would qualify you for amber. The real problem is that now that uh, the, the, 20, the 25 is so low that very few European countries make it, none of them in the European Union. The lowest uh, we, we can see is Cyprus, which is about, or Norway, which is about 34.1 at the moment. And that would leave only countries like uh, Norway, Cyprus, Finland, but crucially Germany under the 50. 50 to 100, 
the census imposition, we're, we're putting on every single country a 14-day self-quarantine. That's what Europe proposes. Countries can uh, opt to do that. Very few of them do that. There's only about five of them do that at the moment. But what we, but there is no doubt, uh, Neil, that the core of the problem here is that everybody's race is running away out of control. And, um, so does it mean ultimately across the winter, for, for the shorter term, that foreign travel is off the cards? I mean, an awful lot of people were travelling to Cyprus over the past six or eight weeks. They were getting a blast of summer, of, of, of sunshine there. And I know of many that did go. Uh, is that likely to stop? I suspect that's the Irish government's um, approach will be tomorrow, that they will continue to urge people not to travel. The airlines are allowed to travel. The passengers are being discouraged from doing so. And that is what's created the sort of scenes you saw in Cork Airport. Europe wants borders to to keep to stay open. Uh, the European uh, CDC and the World Health Organization say that closing airports and closing borders doesn't do anything to help the fight against COVID. But the natural reaction of a lot of countries is to start blaming each other. Uh, for a good example would be the Czechia, the Czech, the Czech Republic, um, which shut all its borders very early on. It now has the highest case rate in Europe, 432.7. Whereas countries that kept their, their borders open uh, have very low ones. Some of them, uh, it, it doesn't follow that one that opening and closing borders has any effect on your case rate. It seems to be more uh, local factors that decide that. And Northern Ireland is one of the worst in Europe. If yeah. Northern Ireland was a standalone country, it would now be the worst in Europe next to the Czech uh, Republic. Mm-hmm. What, what is what is happening with Ryanair and their threat to pull out of Cork? Do you know? Ryanair are flying empty flights. They have been uh, flying, they got their load factor up um, across Europe during, around August. But what they've been doing, what I noticed they've been doing on the website, is pulling back the frequencies. They say the Irish government policy, they took a court action on this, was effectively preventing passengers booking. So we've had flights arriving into Cork with three passengers on board. The result of that is they've threatened to pull almost all their winter services. They've threatened to reduce Dublin to a trickle, and they've said that Cork and uh, and Shannon are going to close. That means that Ryanair is effectively the only customer in both those airports, and it means that the two airports really will be closed for the winter. Wow, really? I mean, how can they survive? Like, even closed for the winter and open in the spring but like would that work the March is a different game and the Ryanair are being making uh, thunderous noises about uh, we need a change in Irish government policy we need to no, but I'm saying would Ryanair come back in the spring then when things become buoyant again and we have a vaccine and people can start flying again would they would come back wouldn't they a business if the, if the business is there but you think it's a, it could well be a possibility that Cork Airport would close for the winter soon? Very, very strong possibility. Now, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, Cork will have a couple of Aer Lingus services as well. Shannon will have uh, a couple of Aer Lingus services as well. But uh, Shannon's even more dependent on Ryanair. But without Ryanair, there, is, there are no flights in and out. And it would be, there would be no point in them remaining open for a couple of Aer Lingus flights? 
Not at all. I mean, it, it, it calls into question all the, the staffing. It calls into question the pre-clearance that Shannon has. It calls into question uh, everything. Wow, that's scary. Um, and we don't have much time in this, Neil. But what, like what, October, end, of, end of October is when the winter schedules kick in. What Ryanair are saying is we need the government to get their act together in terms of allowing people to fly. Yeah, but would they even want to fly, though? Would people even want to fly? That's the next query. That's the next question. Ryanair's traditional response on this has been people who don't want to fly when the flight is 100 euro have no problem flying when it's 10. They, they stimulate with price. It worked a dream for them during the global financial recession. They knew when every other airline was shrinking, but there's much more at quest here. And what I see, Neil, and I've flown myself since coronavirus with the mask, gone through the airport, I've seen the airports uh, managing, and I haven't been through Corp, but I gather they're managing this very exquisitely. Social distancing, security queues, everything done really, really well. On board, you're very safe, HEPA filters, filters, all of that. But it's like taking the first flight again. It's like telling people you're 12 years of age and you've never been in an airplane, you're not sure to fly, or a nervous person that has never been on it. And it's like taking the first flight again for so many people that I don't think that just offering cheap fares, which Ryanair are doing at the moment, you can get to the Algarve for 14.99 this week from Cork. And it's, it's the price enough, I'm not sure it is. And how many so people will be on that flight, do you think? Reassured. We've seen... Um, flights with four people. So why aren't people picking up on deals for return flights to the Algarve for under 50 quid? Why aren't they taking up on the deals like that? Fear? Because, uh, because they have to say, the, the government policy at the moment is if you go to Spain or Portugal, you have to self-isolate for 14 days. Fine for people who work for themselves, but also employers are enforcing it. Some of the big employers around Cork are saying, you're unpaid isolation for 14 days, or you take it out of your holidays when you return. Yeah. It's too big for people yeah. to take. Yeah. And if you work for a state agency, it's even more problematic if you're a teacher. Okay. Okay, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with regards to the Irish government and this green list and the European initiative this week. And where are people then on refunds? Do you know? I mean, are they ploughing through the refunds or are they still offering vouchers or what with regards to Ryanair and Aer Lingus? All of the above. Ploughing through the refunds and the Ryanair are saying almost everybody is refunded. But it's quite clear from what I'm hearing myself and getting contacted myself on social media that people, all people have not been refunded. There's another huge problem here, Neil. Ryanair have um, stopped uh, paying refunds that went through intermediaries. They're complaining, particularly about the big online guys like Love Holidays and uh, Kayak and people That's like right. that. Yeah. But one of the people they did, but then they also did the same to Ireland's licensed and bonded travel agents. These are the guys who have been legitimately trading under government license and have uh, been paid money over to Ryanair on behalf of clients and now the clients looking for it back and Ryanair are really playing hard to get with They're playing clients. hardball with third party bookings you're saying? Absolutely and they've made no distinction between the online guys who mark it up a bit and the legitimate Irish bonded travel agent who's already had a terrible summer they've had no income and they've been paying out 
all summer. They're probably the most hammered of all the businesses that you can identify out of this COVID-19 mess, certainly in the aviation, travel and hospitality sector. Okay, listen, thanks for the update. We'll see what the week week brings as always. Thanks, Owen. Appreciate it. Owen Corey from www.travelextra.ie, your go-to place for all matters relating to travel and holidays. Lines open at 1-850-104-106, particularly if you've been overseas. Where were you? How did you get on? Uh, what was the flight like? You know, what was it like in the country you were in, particularly if it was a sunshine destination? As I mentioned, I know of people who went to Cyprus and they had a great time of it. Uh, very, very safe, very warm. Everything was fine uh, and thoroughly enjoyed a bit of, I suppose, winter sun, if you like. Uh, back after the break uh, with a story out of Cove. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. We could be on a hiding to nothing with this because of uh, lack of precautions if teens continue to meet in large numbers like they do in Cove every weekend, Neil. For quite a few months, gangs of 16 and 17-year-old youths are blaring music, drinking alcohol with no attempt whatsoever uh, at distancing in an area close to Newtown Village where I live. This is not the only place in Cove that has been plagued with hordes of youths on a Friday and a Saturday night. They are meeting on the Burma Steps and a host of other areas putting all our lives at risk. This weekend was one of the worst I've put down in a while with a large gang, a very large gang, congregating in an area close to my home. There were cop cars, cop vans flying all over the place and what it sounded like There were hundreds of kids drinking in the fields. The noise coming from them was unbearable all weekend. It's getting so bad that I've taken to praying for rain at the weekends because they won't venture out in poor weather. The government may have strict uh, regulations, but they're worthless if teenagers continue to party and drink outside. In recent weeks, Gardaí foiled an arranged fight between locals and kids from the city. Uh, And from what I can see... There were very little repercussions for those involved whom they knew of. Don't get me wrong, I was 16. Um, I might have done the same sort of thing, but not during a pandemic when we're all trying to be safe. On Saturday, the Echo reported almost 50 people waiting for beds in the COH, uh, as in on trolleys, and we're not yet at the peak of the flu season, or dare I say, the second wave of COVID-19. Over the midterm gaggles of these super spreaders, they meet up nightly. Uh, bringing the virus home, putting families and elderly at future risk. That was uh, over the midterm. They will meet up this coming midterm. And when they return to school, they could unwittingly infect their teachers or SNAs. The teaching profession has been affected by in these short weeks back, with many now out sick. Sick? Did you know that? I didn't actually. Teaching profession out sick. Out sick with what? COVID-19? Anyway, some are out on stress leave, while others are absent because they've been recognized as close contacts to a confirmed case. Something is something is to give. I feel for the local Gardaí because they don't have the resources to deal with the situation in Cove. The law is neither on their side, as all they can do is round up the kids and bring them home to parents who don't give a damn. Just watch your switchboard light up with parents of 16 and 17-year-olds telling you their Johnny and Mary wouldn't dream of doing things like that. You'll have others throw out the line, how can you keep control of teenagers? They'll do what they like. I say it's the job of every parent to make sure they know where their teenagers are and what they are doing. Parents of COVID breakers who don't toe the line should be threatened with losing their children's allowance for a few months. That wouldn't be long putting manners on the parents. The presence of these groups has serious public health implications. Don't give them my details. We're all afraid our houses will be targeted by these teens 
if they found out we were speaking out. So those, that's to do with events down in Cove, and particularly over the last weekend. So we contacted the guards, and they said, yes, Gardy attended and spoke to a group of youths in the Ballyno Hill area at around 10 p.m. Saturday night. Gardy spoke to all present, directed them to leave the area. One of the group was erected, arrested under the Public Order Act and was detained at Cove Garda Station. End of statement. And that's the Gardy saying, a group of youths, but the emailer... Uh, to me, doesn't describe a group of youths. You think a group of youths might be a dozen or so. The emailer says we are talking about upwards of a 100 or perhaps even more. So that's the story out of Cove this morning. Text 0868104106 if you you want to um, contribute, particularly if you're down there and you can follow up on that story with me. Lines are open, as I say. Text 0868104106. Unfortunately, bad news this morning nationally with regards to litter. They're saying that because you would think there would be less of it around, but apparently there's more of it around now, even through uh, the last six months. But I have to say, yet again, yet again, for Moy makes the top 10 for cleaner than European norms. So, Formoy is playing a blinder and has been for a long, long time now. Cleaner than European norms for Formoy. Not so good for other areas. The city doesn't too bad. Doesn't do too bad. It's clean to European norms. Cork City Centre. But we have suber- suburban problems, as we've always had. And moderately littered, unfortunately, Mahan gets into that. And littered Cork's north side. Uh, mind you, I was out, I, I mean, I was out for a cycle uh, on Saturday morning, it was all over the north side. It went as far up as uh, as the orthopedic and back down into Blackpool. And I have to say, I didn't come across much. You see an awful lot on a, on a push bike or electric bike in my case. But I thought that actually the city was absolutely buzzing. There was an awful lot of people in the city. You can say the same about Dublin, which is a, like a ghost town. Whereas Cork seems to be very busy. Certainly on a Saturday, the city was thriving. Very busy and the sun was shining and it was a lovely day. I mean, you do see sad things though, I have to say, because I was, uh, I was in and around, um, the Grand Parade and you know how people are always going on about Bishop Lucy Park and you wouldn't go in there and it's not safe. So I had a little bit of a cycle in there and was just standing there by the city walls and there was uh, a warden there. There was an attendant there, a city council official, security guard doing a great job and there was lots of people in there and they were all happy and, didn't see a whole lot of messing. Mind you, on, on the actual Grand Parade itself, I saw an awful lot of homeless people literally walking around with their homes on their backs in, in little rucksacks. It was quite sad to see, and some of them in a fairly shook condition. There was two lads, and it was quite sad. They weren't too far from me, and they were, they were, I won't go into a whole lot of detail because I don't want to identify them in any way, shape, or form, but I think between them they had a tenor, and it was so sad to listen. I couldn't help but overhear. Uh, these little, these lads looking, they were quite thin, maybe early twenties, clearly uh, suffering because they're between them. They had a tenor and they were calling dealers on their mobile phones trying to get a deal. I can only assume it was heroin, uh, for a tenor. Uh, it was so sad to listen. I was thinking, God almighty, under normal conditions, they'd have a long and happy and healthy life ahead of them. But I was wondering, what would their life become? Uh, you know, at the age of 19 or 20, calling dealers trying to get a deal of uh, heroin for a tenner. It was just so, so sad. Anyway, lines open, one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. We've got lots of texts and emails after the break and between now and midday. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 1850-104-106. Red FM. Okay, um, my apologies. I don't have screens at the moment because for some extraordinary reason, the entire system has gone into reboot and it keeps on rebooting and updating. I know it's not your problem. It's some kind of computer 
ordinary housekeeping, but it could have been done uh, at a better time. But actually, you know, we talk about the EU countries and whether it should or could or would travel. I mean, at this stage now, there's no countries on the green travel list from today. They're just gone. And I think that I can't see that really changing very much for Ireland because if you sum up the conversation with Owen Corrie, we as a country now would be dedicated, de- designated as red uh, red country. So as to whether we should be traveling or not, that's another story. From Friday's program where Mayfield um, Soccer Club were given a €150 euro fine uh, by Cork City Council for putting out a big uh, sign advertising their soccer academy. I thought it was a disgrace the council would find them, and I hope they'd take it to court and refuse to pay it. Um, did it ever happen before? Well, actually, something like that did happen before, where a litter fine was issued to an 11-year-old and an 8-year-old, two sisters, um, who put a sign um, to advertise their own bike wash outside their mammy's shop. Uh, apparently, they made nine euro for their hard work on a Saturday. Uh, they started up a, a little um, wash and go, if you like, uh, and they were fined by uh, Dublin City Council. Um, the little wash service they had, they received a, a notice of a fine. Apparently, uh, City Council said, you can't be doing that. Um, but when Dublin Council realized that it was an eight-year-old and an 11-year-old, um, they decided not to not to prosecute, uh, so that one went away. It was the Dunleary Rathdown Litter Warden who actually saw the kids sign and decided um, uh, to issue them with a fixed notice. Uh, so there is precedent to this, whereby uh, these things can be reversed, and we'll have to wait and see if that happens with regards to uh, Mayfield. You would think at a time uh, when you need your health and mental and physical well-being that soccer academies would be endorsed and blessed and not fined. Okay, big deal, Neil. Obama was well-spoken in that clip, but he dropped more bombs than any other U.S. president. He's also going to be charged with treason soon enough, I feel. Well, (laughs) where that's coming from? Uh, What's good about Trump is that he doesn't pretend that he cares, uh, unlike the lefties who pretend that they care. Um, And there are many others then with regards to... Somebody is suggesting uh, that my cough will be very much softened when Donald Trump romps back into the White House. I don't know where you're getting that kind of an opinion from. Um, Like I've often said in the past that business in America loves Trump. So as to whether or not he gets elected or not, we'll have to wait and see. But I don't know whether you're trying to make out that I'm completely and utterly anti-Trump. That isn't the case at all. Either way, we'll pick it up after 10 and rectify these problems I'm having with this system. Pick it up after 10. Morning, Tom. Thank you for your email. He says, uh, who was watching like I was? Who wants to be a millionaire at the weekend? One of the questions asked was, in what part of the British Isles is Harlech Castle? And the multiple answers were Wales, England, Scotland or Ireland. <laughs> Which part of the British Isles is Harlech Castle, Wales, England, Scotland or Ireland, he says. What got, and it really got me thinking, with Britain leaving the EU and our government's inability to restrict movements from Britain to Ireland through Northern Ireland, is it now time to focus and push for a 32-county Ireland debate? You got from who wants to be a millionaire to a 32-county Ireland debate. Fair play to you. At least then, we the Irish, in cooperation with the European Union, would have complete control over Ireland's border. Do the Irish people actually accept that this is something that could possibly happen? And if so, do we want it? I'd be interested in your listeners' opinions on this topic. Whether or not we should now, with the UK bailing out of Europe, should we have a 32-county Ireland debate? I thought we were kind of having it, aren't we? Certainly Sinn Féin are having it all of the time. But that's interesting because it got me thinking of things that Britain has claimed to be British. 
down through the years when actually they were Irish, particularly people. So I came up with a list, or at least Emma Hill did, a list of Irish figures claimed by Britain, British media in recent times. So it's a combination of stuff from Reddit, from the Mirror, from Joe.ie, from the Journal and the Daily Age. And the list of Irish figures claimed by British media include, in the past, it's always when they're doing well, incidentally, uh, Saoirse Ronan, Seamus Heaney, Michael Fassbender, Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Emma Donoghue, Chris O'Dowd, Conor McGregor, Killian Murphy, Ruth Nega, the golfer Paul Dunn, Donald Gleeson, Bono, Owen Morgan, Terry Wogan, Richard Harris, Michael Gambon, Bob Geldof, Darrow O'Brien, and one that very much springs to mind considering their huge successes internationally as uh, in rowing, Paul and Gary O'Donovan claimed as British. So that's the, that's the list of people in the past that has been claimed to be uh, British when in actual fact they were Irish. They, t- they tend to do it when that person or individual or indeed in some cases two brothers are doing very well. Uh, you can add to that list if I've forgotten any. Text 0868104106. But back to the phone lines we go this morning. Stephen, thanks for getting in touch. Morning. Morning, Neil. Uh, there, has, there has been talk in the past, of course, about uh, what should and shouldn't be open. We had all of this Barney with regards to off-licenses and supermarkets that sell alcohol. Uh, but farmers' markets are an issue. And what did you witness? I, I witnessed yesterday, Neil, down the Black Rock, uh, hundreds, I mean hundreds of people. You know where they have the farmers' market in uh, Black Rock, Neil, in the plaza? Yeah, on the pier, yeah, on the pier, there by the pier head, yeah. Yes, uh, farmers markets are uh, sorry, Neil. Um, hundreds of people just thronged in that one area. No social distancing. No, all on top of each other. It's like crows uh, hovered over Cluster Bridge. You know, really like, that all, bad? Uh, yeah. I, 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 Neil, I, 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 like you said, you went for a cycle in the north side last week. You should take a cycle out to Black Rock on a Sunday morning. Well, I, ha- I have done, and uh, Douglas has a market as well, uh, and yeah, I've seen I that. And I was, down the, I was down in the marine. There's a marina indoor market, which I visited last weekend. It yeah. looked to me as if that was closed, apart from takeout coffee, you know? Uh, yes, yes. But I did talk with a chap last week on the air who said that he went to the Black Rock market last Sunday, took one look at it, and legged it. Yeah, I, I I know who you're talking about, and I heard that as well. I heard him speaking about that. He just he wouldn't go in there, like because it's too dangerous. Need uh, it's very it's for, to me it's it's very reckless. It's selfish. I'm I'm I'm, I'm worse of all. It's greed, you know, um, because I think uh, this farmers market should be shut down, you know, because. Why is it why is it greed? If it were done safely, it's people just trying to make a living. I mean, there a lot of them are greed, growing projects because. It's greed in the sense of there's, there's too many people there. Um, uh, and, you know, if you stop it, then pe- people might, might take a, a think of, of, of the next, next solution, you know? Was everybody what wearing a mask, though, or could you wear a mask no, while need, sipping no, coffee? Need. No, no, no. And, you know, what I, well, there's, there was no kind of, you know, when you go into places like supermarkets in particular, there's one, one way in and one way out. They have no kind of um, system in that regard. Like, you just queue up wherever you want and just all mingle around and it's all stuck in together, you know? Like groups huddled it's together. It's the open air. And what, you it's know the what, open air, which is fair enough. Yeah, well, I mean, that 
you know, that's the that's the defense of a market that people are outdoors. And when they're queuing, they're leaving distance between others in the queue. Is that the case? I didn't see that need yesterday. All right. OK, well, you and, I, and I called the guard. I, I, I rang um, the, 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 the guard station and I said, uh, like, the, the cars are parked. I, I've said this in my email as well, Neil. The cars are parked from the Pearhead halfway up Castle Road. So there would be no way an ambulance or, God forbid, a fire brigade be able to get up Castle Road because it's just it's just pure uh, lack of consider. I park where I like. That's the attitude, Neil. You know? As in selfish drivers. Uh, yeah, that's a narrow enough road anyway. So they're just. Would you say that the road is blocked? Yeah, well, one car down and stop for the other car to come up and all this stuff. In the know? event of an emergency, that's going to be a problem for sure. What did the guards say when you called them? They said they send down a patrol car, and I passed an hour later, and it was still the same. Yeah, um, you think? And that- like, Neil, I don't want to give out the the impression. Oh, he's all against farmers' markets. I'm far from it. I think farmers' markets are great. I did great initiative, and and a great community, great for the community. You know. Yeah. Um, and because people can't socialize, that's the form of socialize you know go meet people but do it in a, a careful manner you know not all thronged t- up on top of each other you know yeah um, are you a resident down there yeah so that would be a problem of course for residents down yeah, there as well nice. I would not I would not go near my wife is in underlying condition my daughter is in underlying condition I would not nowhere near go near that farmer's market okay, okay. I might go near around 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon when it's quiet but I certainly wouldn't go near around half 11 too many people o'clock. up on top of each other no masks and not socially yeah and also the marina now which has been pedestrianised it means that it's very very busy down there with people walking and it's lovely to see uh, but and not you if, had a coaster but, on your, but on not your if the destination yeah go on yeah. sorry you had a coaster and we know who this coaster is who lives in Blackrock you had him on your station last week and he said that he, there was no way, no way he would go near that place when it's like that. And a week on, it's, it's, it's worse. Nothing's changed. Mind you, Lenny says, I was at the Blackrock Market uh, yesterday at midday. It was perfectly fine. Why are people so quick to jump on the bandwagon? I never felt unsafe for a second. There was a great atmosphere down there, Sissy. So- of course there was a great atmosphere because there was loads there. There was loads. There was like 150, 200. And they're on top of each other. And I, I, I actually, I was driving past, and my daughter was with me. And I said, I want to drive past, and they were saying, where's your social, social distancing? None whatsoever. Okay, you know? let's see what other people make of it. Thanks for taking the call, Stephen. Thanks for getting in touch. Appreciate it. The Farmer's Thank Market you. yesterday in Blackrock Village. Text 868 106 Pick up the phone on one 106 You should see the state of the overflowing bins all along the marina. Cork City Council is a shambles. Yeah, If you want people to walk, then you should provide the services for them. It's quite sad, actually, yesterday, because I love you all, and I went for a walk down in Yall Beach. The sun was shining. It was very, very busy. Lots of people walking the beach. It's a good place, actually, and a very safe place. And the beach is long and wide. The only downside to it was that uh, there were so many people um, and unfortunately the uh, public toilets on your beach were closed and locked up. It was so bad actually. I saw fellas uh, going around the back to have a, have a pee behind the back of it. And it struck me as bizarre that on a sunny day, busy day and the beach so full that the public toilets down there would be locked. It just doesn't make any sense to me. And by virtue of the fact that I was comparing it to the weekend before when I had friends who were doing the Dungarvan walk along that greenway um, and they had public toilets there and they were wide open and spotlessly clean. So why can Dungarvan get it right but y'all council 
uh, get it wrong. You need to have those places open so people can use the conveniences. There were so many people there. It was very unfair on them. Lines open, one 104 106 text 0868-104-106. Now, I'm going to do an awful lot of emails and texts today because I've got a lot of stuff that's been backing up on me. And can I just say also, a lot of it is non-COVID related, which is a happy relief for many of us. Mark, good morning. Hi. You're a restaurateur, am I right? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, and how tough is it for you? Well, it's uh, very tough at the moment. Have, because you, have, you, moved to, have trying, you moved to yeah. take out? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, like the first time, uh, not, not knowing what was the, what was the situation, uh, how risky it was, so I decided to... Uh, to close, but this time I decided to to at least do the takeaway. Even because I don't want to put weight again, <laughs> I I really put like twenty kg the last time, you know, three months at home. So <laughs> I prefer to to be cooking. <laughs> well, that's yeah. a good a reason as any. I think another one is that you can't get a rent reduction or a rent freeze, so you have to try and make some kind of money. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I I've been. I mean, I cannot complain about my landlord. I understand that he has to make a living as well, and uh, he is not asking now. This morning, he's, he said we'll talk about it. But you know, now what's uh, really uh, what I want to get off my chest is this. Uh, Thing that the government or whoever is in charge don't even talk about this. Uh, we've been uh, helped a lot, but uh, what about the rent? You see, it's uh, it's it's really difficult to to know that you have to work and you're building up a big big bill that one day you have to pay. I know. You know. I know. I know. It's it's uh, you know you government closed me, so do something about it. You know make a contribution, make a law, make something. You know, I, I can't uh, be thinking to make the same uh, turnaround uh, with, with just doing takeaway. I'm a restaurant, I'm not a takeaway. You know, I'm just selling a few pizzas, a few pastas, and that's it. Would you do, uh, would you do 20% of normal trade, 30, 40? Yes, 20, 30, yes, that's okay. it, yeah. Okay, but the... F- and, uh, and as well, as well, you see, when we reopen, I was really amazed how the government helped uh, in the wage uh, subsidy uh, with the grants and everything. So I just wonder why they're not doing it again, you know, or... or well, well, hold on. All is not lost because the budget tomorrow will probably announce a new compensation scheme for businesses um, yeah. closed by government order. You'd need to be closed, I'd imagine, um, with aid coming in a weekly or a monthly payment. The payment would be based on your revenue, turnover, and the amount of tax you've paid in previous years. But I think the mm. compensation scheme would be, would be for those that would be closed. Yeah, but you see, I don't want to close. I, I want to give a service to my loyal customers. And uh, I don't want to be hide, idle at home. I, I feel useless, you know. I know. I, it's on me. I, I need to cook. I need to. I need to do my job. I, I don't want to stay home. I'm, I'm not. I didn't come to this country to stay home and uh, uh, use the system. No, I refuse to do that. I want to work. I want to be able to do my job. But if you, you know, force me to close, 
Then we have to do something for me. Yeah, like you know like Martin Shanahan down in Fishy Fishy there in Kinsale at the weekend was uh, he put a photograph up of his empty business and next to it was yeah. a load of unopened bills. The point he was making was that when people say we're all in this together, that's nonsense because uh, if we're all in this together, who's going to pay my bills? Yes, this is what I mean. I mean, everybody makes his own living in his own way. Like I am a restaurateur, I open the, the doors. I, I serve my customers. My landlord rent a business. He has to make the money. He is paying the well. I'm. I'm. I'm I assume that he got, uh, for example, the the bank uh, holiday. But that's you see, uh, that's not enough. You know, it's what I mean is that the government should take some step and help for this. You know. But what, yeah, but even on that point, what's going to happen now? The mortgage break payment coming to an end, um, and, and they, they gave lenders some bit of, uh, you know, relief there back at the start. But, like, what's going to happen now? Um, hey, this is what, what, uh, what, this is, this is my point. I am in a, in a mind camp and I'm walking very slowly. This is what I feel. The same thing. I, you know, of, of course, I don't need all my stuff. But uh, you see, uh, obviously, I'm I'm not working. I mean, I'm I'm working, and but I'm not uh, been uh, getting this money from the government, the pandemic. But you see, the, the stuff that I have, I have to pay with the forty percent instead of the like two hundred and three maximum they give you. Yeah. But if they stay home, they get three hundred. Yes, 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 yes. This is so stupid for me. You know, like they're better off not working and get 300 than being paid for me to do less hours and reach maybe 250. Do you think that some people would be in favor and would be looking forward to a lockdown for the 300? Um, well, I assume yes. Some people, yes. Okay. But it's, but, it's uh, as much to do with your physical health and your mental health that you want to work, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I mean, uh, I, I couldn't stay another three months. I mean, first of all, we're going towards the winter. Uh, it's not the same, you know. Before, at least, uh, you know, you, you sit down in the garden, there is uh, a bit of sunshine, you can do something, you know. But now it's going to be cold, it's going to be uh, dark, it's going to be uh, wet. <laughs> you don't want to stay home. I know, I understand. And you're talking on behalf of an awful lot of people that would agree with that. But why are why are landlords looking for full rent when they know that uh, businesses are closed or they're just doing takeout? Surely they should be able to negotiate a rent reduction. Uh, well, like I, like I said before, I cannot blame uh, the landlords. Uh, they, they make their own way that, yeah, I mean, they, they, that's their business. They have to run it uh, in their way and that's, they look up, uh, after their interests, you know? Uh, so I, I wouldn't blame them. I would blame who's not talking about this. Like, uh, I don't know who's in charge, the government or whatever. I know. So, uh, it's, it's just, I want to sensibilize, how do you say, sensibilize this situation. All right. You know, this, 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 nobody talks about this. Okay. See, I don't want to uh, blame uh, a private, you know what I mean? I know That's what you're saying. That's the own way to make a living, you know? Okay. You invest the money, 
he's getting the money. You know, so it's the same as me. You know, I, I get, I, I buy the product, I, I and I, and, I, and then I sell it. It's, it's it's just another way. You know, it's just I would like to understand why this thing has not been talked about. You know, some help with rent. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, yeah, Mark, yeah. Listen, Mark. Thanks for taking the call. Look after yourself. Appreciate you taking the call, and I hope things thank go you, well for you in the coming much. weeks and months. Maybe there'll be other restaurateurs and business in a similar scenario might get involved. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. My thanks to Elaine, who's been holding an age. Elaine, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Are you talking about all far- farmers markets? Or are you honing in on the BlackRock one? Uh, just the BlackRock one. I was there yesterday myself. Uh, we visited BlackRock and we visited the one, the coffee shop and the marina market as well. And we actually commented yesterday on how well we thought it was run. Um, you know, we thought it was very well marshaled. People were doing what they wanted to do. Um, a lot of people didn't have masks on, but, you know, you're out in the open air. You don't have to wear them out in the open air. Um, I, I just think at this stage, you know, you're safer in that environment than you are in the supermarket at this stage. Well, this is two Mondays and now where two different individuals have come to me. The same last Monday morning, fellow went down there, mm-hmm. took one look at it, turned on his heels and legged it. And Stephen, who's a resident down there, notwithstanding the fact that the, he says there was too many people there, but the parking was atrocious. Well, the, the parking down there is always atrocious. I mean, that's the case any weekend ever before the coronavirus. Um, you know, it, 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 there is just isn't parking for the volume of people that want to visit it. But I just think I hate what this is doing to people at the moment. It's turning people on each other. It's people are telling tales on each other. If you don't feel comfortable in the situation, take yourself out of it and go home and leave other people enjoy it. Um, the caller earlier commenting on there was groups of people huddled together. He doesn't know who those people are. Maybe they're people that live in a house shared together, or maybe they are just groups of friends that felt safe huddling together. Uh, uh, how could groups of friends feel safe huddling together if we're asked to stay but apart? But, but we don't know, Neil, people's circumstances. Maybe people live alone. Maybe they self-isolate. We don't know. I, I just think at this stage, you mind you and leave other people mind themselves. Another person you says, know, I passed Black Rock at half past one yesterday. It was an absolute disgrace. Cars parked everywhere. Large crowds gathered. No masks. No distancing. I just think, you know, if you're passing in a car, you can't you can't judge people when you're passing in a car. I felt safe there yesterday. Personally, I did. Um, I think we have very little else to do at the moment. If we can't take a walk out in the sunshine and get a cup of coffee or a hot chocolate, you know, it's not good for people's mental health. And if you don't feel comfortable there, take yourself out of it. What's with the bins? What's with the bins down there? It's not that I have a thing about bins or anything, but I sent a photograph of the bins down in Blackrock after the... uh, farmer's market finished and um, the, there clearly isn't enough. The bin is jammed and then on top of it is this oh. massive pyramid uh, of uh, recyclable coffee cups. That, that's the problem there all the time. Like I had my dog with me yesterday. Um, you know, I when I pick up um, her, her droppings and I have to carry it around, there's a problem with bins all over the city, to be honest, whether it's for coffee cups or, or, or you but know, do people waste. Do the people who put all of those, that big tower... Do they? Do people actually put all of those up on top of that that big tower? Well, they do because and do, some people what, are ignorant. They're totally ignorant. What do they expect is going to happen? Why don't they take them home when the bill is like? Here's an example that backs up the argument that the that the farmers market in Blackrock Village is a problem. Hmm. Be, because if these are the kind of people that are down there, they're a problem. Well, that individuals' problems. That's not the market's problem. You know, if, if grown adults can't be trusted to bring their waste home with them, that, that's an individual. Well, my problem. point is, you if know, they can't they, be trusted to take their waste home with them, how can they be trusted to stay safe? 
I, I, I think it's two separate things and I think at this stage it's people's own individual choice if they want to be out in the open air. I think we're safer out in the open air enjoying a coffee than we are huddled together in a house or even in a supermarket at this stage. The supermarkets are gone crazy again. Good. Oh, you forget know, I, I, about it. Tell me about it. I was yeah. in one last weekend and I thought this can't be safer than a pub or a restaurant. No, it just can't. Exactly. And, you know, I don't want to point out any individual businesses because I do think it's great how some businesses have adapted but I passed one particular restaurant in the city yesterday and they had a tent erected outside. And to me, that's a more dangerous environment. You know, people sitting in this tent with the same air circulating. You know, and I know people are trying to adapt and I think some businesses have done a great job. But my opinion at this stage with this, Neil, is drive on. We have to learn to live with this. And if you don't feel safe, if you don't feel comfortable, take yourself out. Fair play. Shiona Shiona says, here, here, well said. I totally agree with Elaine. It really has gone bonkers here with all of the complainers. Yeah. All right. Take care. Much obliged, Elaine. As always, text 0868104106. We'll pick it up after the break. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Text 0868104106. We're talking about uh, landlords and uh, the cost of rent with regards to businesses that are either closed, that still have to pay. Or, or indeed um, the cost of rent for those that have had to adapt their business for takeout. And that's what Mark was talking about regarding his own restaurant. But I have to wonder, what is, what is, how do we ever get uh, to the rental costs that we have on Leaside? How do we ever get there? Uh, the cost of rental continues to go up, even in a pandemic, uh, even when actually it's, it kind of makes sense, though, for Cork. You know, you look at. For instance, an awful lot of people have moved back to Cork, right? So you have an awful lot of people that would have been working in Dublin or other places like that, and we all have evidence of that, maybe even in your own family, where they've come home because they're working remotely. And it's been going on for six months now, or what have you, seven months, and it's probably going to go on until uh, at least the spring for many businesses in Dublin, where people are working, uh, before they can ever go back to the office. So a lot of people are also not ever going to go back to an office. So here in Cork, it means that there is more demand than ever now for rental property, three bedroom houses, four bedroom houses, apartments or whatever. And that's driven up the cost. Now, I've been told reliably that for every house now that comes up for rent, a three bedroom or a four bedroom in the city, in the suburbs, and indeed in some of the satellite towns, but certainly in the city, for every property that's coming up for rent, you have at least 100 people vying for it and in touch with the estate agents and those that do rental properties. And I hope over the next couple of days to talk to one or two of those companies. Um, so the 100 or so people who are looking for a three bed don't get to see it. It's it's like a lottery. You're vetted and clearly they're not interested in students or what have you, um, particularly if it's a very nice and well-furnished property. So it's uh, it's not even a lottery. It's like a, almost where you're vetted by virtue of the email that you sent in telling things about yourself. So the cost of rental came across uh, last week, um, 650 euro for an unfurnished house in Cork City, 650 euro, 1700 euro uh, for a house. And all you're getting for the 1700 is a nine month contract, 1700 for that, 1750 for a four bed. And this particular four bed had 100 people on a list all wishing uh, to rent it. And then 1800 for another four bed furnished. So that's where you're at now uh, with three bed and four beds. Anything between 1600 and 1800 And I was wondering how did prices get so high? And it's been pushed up as well. 
by the fact that so many people now that are looking for these houses, these three bed and four bed, I believe, are house shares, um, which means that you have four people who could a lot more comfortably split the four, split the rent four ways, you know, split the 1800 by four. That kills off the ability then for families to afford to rent because it's driving the prices up because house shares can afford it easier. There's four of them sharing the rent as opposed to a family on one or perhaps one and a half or two incomes. And of course, it's also driving up HAP payments. Uh, and that makes the quest begs the question as to, you know, why isn't uh, more of the councils building their own properties? Like when I was cycling on Saturday, particularly up around the north side, say if you drive, if you cycle or drive from the North Cathedral right up Cathedral Road, up into Grawn. You are talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of houses in Cork Corporation housing estates that were built by the corporation in the boom years of building in the primarily the back end of the 40s and the 50s and the 60s when many families then moved from tenements in the city up to the north side and then they built also on the south side of what have you. It was a huge drive, massive a project to build public authority housing. That's primarily gone now because uh, the city councils and county councils don't directly build anymore. They get other people to build for them and they buy them then at top dollar. Uh, it was amazing when you see the work that was done in the 50s and 60s. It was very progressive work at the time. But that's the kind of rent we're talking about now. And perhaps we should discuss that a little bit more, particularly if you have stories to share on the cost of rent on Leaside. It has gone absolutely through the roof and it hasn't been helped by many people coming back to Cork from their jobs where they're out of the offices and they're working remotely back home in Cork when they would have been up in the likes of Dublin. All right? So pick up on that. one 850 by phone. Text 0868-104-106 by text. A quick call, actually, just following up on my lovely conversation on Claire, who, between diagnosis and spotting the lump herself and mastectomy, having the operation to remove her breast, um, it was a matter of something like three weeks. It was, it happened so rapidly. She didn't have time to think about it. And I got some lovely texts on it, which I will come back to throughout the course of the morning. But a quick call from Claire or Caroline, who was listening to Claire's call with me on Friday morning. Caroline, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. And did you have a similar story? Did it ring true with you? It did. It did, Neil. Look, um, it was uh, January 2010 and um, just I was in the shower and I felt the lump and I thought, oh my God, what's this? So, look, it was a Sunday and I was in the Navy. I was due to go to sea the next day. So I got onto the medical officer in the Naval Service and he met me down in the Naval Base. And when he examined me, he arranged straight away for me to be sent for um, triple assessment. So like that, within a week, I was in with Professor Paul Redmond, um, who was fantastic. Um, That day I had a mammogram and an ultrasound and a biopsy. And within a week, I was back in and being told that I had aggressive triple negative breast cancer. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds it sounds scary. It was, it was. Um, I suppose I met with Seamus O'Reilly, Dr. Seamus O'Reilly, about a week or so later. Um, and at that stage, the tumour was 7 by 8 centimetres. Oh, wow. So they were saying it was too big to even do the mastectomy on at the time. So they wanted to go in with chemo first to see if they could shrink it to about five centimetres and then at that stage they were going to do the mastectomy 
Did you not notice no. that growing? I mean, that's golf ball size, isn't it? No, no, exactly. Like, I suppose I was very busy at the time. I was the second in command of the LEMEAV. I was at sea. We were busy. You know, I had come in from sea probably around the 20th, 21st of December on a Friday, maybe. I remember racing off. I had two boys. They were two and four, and I remember racing off um, to get to St. Patrick's Church in Rochestown to watch my young boys first school play yeah, you know the, yeah. the Christmas concerts and stuff and um, so it was a very busy time but it, it was very sore it got very big and very sore very fast so um, like that um, the team were brilliant on my first day of chemo they came in to change the plan slightly same drugs but because I was young and fit um, Seamus O'Reilly said there was a new um, uh, report out that he'd read over Christmas so he was going to go in more intensively with my chemo and just keep an eye on my heart through ultrasounds and ECGs during it to make sure we weren't damaging it um, and uh, I was so lucky you know the chemo was so successful that they actually were aiming to think centimetres but they ended up shrinking it down to nine millimetres and at that stage they were able to do a wide local excision or a partial mastectomy um, and take it out um, and then after that when I healed I had seven and a half weeks of radiotherapy so that was all 10 years ago 10 years ago this year you know and it hadn't um, spread thankfully and you're 100% back now Oh, listen, look, they obviously they did, I um, can't even remember what it was called, you know, at the time, it's so big, it's so big and it's so massive for you. And then as the years go on, it's not so big, it's not so massive, you know, um, but they did take a layer of my lymph nodes and examined them and it, it was on the move, it, it, but it hadn't taken oh, over any God, nodes yeah, fully. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was, you know, there was always someone worse off than me as I was going through it. But that yeah, you would meet during treatment, is it? The witch? Oh, that I would meet during treatment. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, you'd be in chemo and there was a lovely woman that I met along the way and she'd get every side effect that was going. And, you know, then there were a couple of other young people uh, going through treatment at the time and some of them were single and had no kids and were looking at, you know, harvesting eggs. And, you know, there was just so much going on for other people as well as the treatment, you know. And, um, and there was no family history, you know? No, look, we had no family history. I, know, I suppose I when, when I found the lump, everyone was like, oh, that would be a cyst. That would be a cyst. And how, bad. How, how did you feel as a 33-year-old with two mums? Did you feel the worst? Two boys, I should say, oh, sorry. I, do you know what? Like, when I found out, I was utterly devastated. I cried, I screamed, I shouted, I was scared, I was angry, I was, you know, oh, it was just devastating. And then I think, you know, after a couple of days, it was like, right, okay, have it. Something needs to be done about it. I was looking at my boys. Like, I'd say Seamus O'Reilly thought I was just crazy. I arrived into him on my first day with, like, a picture of the boys in a frame. You need to save me. You know, <laughs> did you really do that? Talk about putting it up to him. <laughs> well, he was great. He was fantastic, and you know, he was like, "Well, this is treatable. We can treat this." And you know, you hang on to words like that. Treatable um, is is always a word you'll you'll hang on to. I know, but it's it's like worrying that. to hear more and more stories of much younger women. You know, whereas in the past, oh, yeah. we were talking about fifty yeah, and sixty so pluses. Yeah, and you know, I think that was kind of one of the things. I suppose you know, like I had had. A, when I, I went back to see that year, 
Um, and I, I had had a full medical before I went out. I had done my fitness test before I went out. I was fit. I was healthy. You know, we were putting in hours at sea, you know, and it was the last thing I expected or saw coming, you know. Um, but, like, yeah, it was just it was such a shock. But, but as I went through it, then you do meet younger people and you do. I know. And you're, like, looking, going, you know, you don't hear of this until it comes to your own door, that there are so many young people affected But it's by worrying us. that it's getting younger. See, that's the point of making. And on top of that, then, I have heard over the years that not all women who are getting breast check notices for checkups uh, are going to the appointments. And then this morning, there's a report out that they said that they sent out 110,000 letters since July uh, for cervical screening checks, and only 10% of women turned up. I know, it's scary, isn't Why it? Why do and you I think that think, is? I don't know. I just think with the cervical one at the moment, is there still a little bit of that stigma that... Fear of coming into healthcare settings, the examiners say, or is it fear of being told that there's cancer, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, the whole cervical check scandal, I think, did it no favours either at the time. I think a lot of people lost a bit of faith, but it's so important. It is so important. But why are 90% of those who have got a, an appointment for a test not showing up? I don't know. I mean, it, when I get mine, I race in the door. I think it's so important, you know, um, and we don't get many things um, given out to us like that, you know, and these are one of the things that you are, your breast check when you're over 50 and yeah. your cervical smears, you know, you should take them up. Everyone should take them up. It's so important. Well, listen, I'm delighted that everything worked out in the end. I have to ask you about your job. Do you mind me asking about your job? It sounds fascinating. You were the third woman well, to join the Irish Navy. I was. I was. Look, I'm retired now. I I did 20 years. I joined in um, 1996 and I retired in 2016. Um, but I had a great, great uh, 20 years there. I retired as a senior officer when I retired. Are you driving the ship? Uh, well, at the time, I was when I was last at sea, I was second in command, but I was subsequently promoted afterwards. But um, I retired out then at that stage um, to kind of just to take life a bit easier. Take did, you, did, you en- did you did you enjoy it? I mean, it must have been challenging. I don't mean to be sexist or anything, but I can't imagine that 20 years ago there was a whole lot of women in the Irish Navy, was there? No, no. So there would have been, at the time when I joined, we just had um, Roberto Brian and Orla Gallagher. Roberto was recently promoted. I know that he would have um, interfered, viewed her maybe on, on Red FM. Um, but uh, then we, then I came in the next year. There was another girl with me, Sinead. I can't remember her second name, but she came in, but she only lasted two weeks. So then, um, yeah, no, look, it was different and it was a big adjustment for everyone. I mean, it was a very male dominated and, and it still is. There's, you know, very male-dominated. Yeah. Well, um, it was well, so by virtue of numbers, but were you, ex- were you accepted into the uh, into the clan very quickly? Uh, well, we had to prove ourselves, I suppose. Do you think well, that women had you to, know, as a woman, you had to prove yourself more than, say, a man would have to do? Oh, definitely. Go away. Definitely at the time, yeah, back in the day. And I, I know Roberta, and I would have topped her cadet class, and I would have topped my cadet class. I think we were always striving to, you know, prove ourselves and be a bit better. Um, and like, I mean, there are tough, 
tough bunch of women that go in um, and that are in there and they're all highly skilled and highly trained um, and each of them are as capable as, as the men are, you know. And do you, um, think, that your way, do you think that your way of life and even your job and your attitude to life, you know, being in the Navy and a bunch of male-dominated industry, that that helped you to beat the cancer, that it was as much to do with your resolve and your drive as it was to what your clinicians were doing well, for you? It definitely helped me to hit it head on, you know, I suppose after I went through the devastation of it and the crying and it was like, okay, we have a problem, now we need a solution and what are we going to do and and to kind of go through it like that. But I would be a very positive person anyway um, and, uh, you know, for anyone going through it, it's very important to try and stay, you know, in the light as opposed to letting yourself go back down. I remember one of my chemo nurses, like, I hated needles. They were so good inside in the gym and we day unit. They used to hide the needles from me. But I remember she used to say to me, if you can get up in the morning now, Caroline, have a shower and put on a bit of lip gloss, you know, you will start your day on the right foot rather than just staying in the bed all day, just trying to get out of the bed after the chemo. So, you know, yeah, definitely it did help me, I suppose, to kind of deal with the plan and the treatment plan and all of that. Um, maybe afterwards, for a couple of years afterwards, I think it was a bit harder, you know, um, when you're left alone and the doctors are gone and the nurses are gone and yeah, um, yeah. the dead of night, every ache, every Blast, pain. I know, I know. But, but, but that becomes easier as it goes on and I think that's a natural thing for anyone who goes through any of that sort of treatment and diagnosis. So the kids are reared now, what are you doing with yourself? So what I did was um, I took a bit of time out first and then I was like, what am I going to do next? So I work in schools. I retrained as a special needs assistant and um, I work in schools as a substitute SNA and I do substitute um, office work in schools. So um, working the kind of school terms. Enjoying life, yeah, okay. Enjoying life, living life, absolutely. Okay, well, listen, uh, words of encouragement then for other women. Um, And indeed, are are the Navy hiring, do you know? They are, they are hiring at the moment. Actually, I just heard the ad when I was out for my walk there in Tamora Valley Park. I just heard the ad. So they are, they are hiring. Yeah, absolutely. And equal Um, opportunity employers, clearly. Would you encourage women to take a look at your route, what what you did? Yeah, if they're interested in it. I mean, it's a very unique career. Um, and yeah, if they're interested in it, I think absolutely don't let anything hold you back. Um, and, you know, everything is worth a try, isn't it? That's Especially for sure. In this day and age. That's for sure. Mind yourself, Caroline. It's a pleasure talking to you. Look after yourself. Cheers. Thanks, Neil. You too. Take Thanks. care. 20 years Bye-bye. in the Navy, lad. Second in command of the LE Neov. A third woman to join the Irish Navy. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at Neil Red FM. Pick up the phone at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Una, good morning. Good morning. Just on the topic of uh, who wants to be a millionaire and uh, calling yeah. Ireland part of the British Isles or what have you, and then the British claiming all of those Irish people that are referred to earlier on. I did some research yeah. into this, and apparently this this topic has been rattling around since the 1930s when Eamon de Valera was one of the first people to correct a British journalist when the British journalist described Ireland as part of the British Isles. Uh, de Valera was having none of it. Um, uh, what do you make of all of this? 
baloney? Well, you know, I, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I think we bring a lot of this kind of stuff on ourselves as a, as a people, but the way we portray ourselves and the way we refer to ourselves and to our country, you know. I mean, uh, in recent years, uh, prior from what De Valera said, I, you know, I've heard this thing creeping in, uh, referring to Ireland as the island, the island. Uh, it's on the news. It's It's even when politicians are speaking on the world stage, so to speak, or the European stage, we're constantly referring to ourselves as the island, and sometimes it will be the the island of Ireland. It's like a tongue twister. And I just feel like a lot of it is psychological, the way we portray ourselves, you know? I mean, we are an island country, but so is Britain, but Britain is Great Britain, and it's the UK, and it's, you know... Uh, proud in their way of presenting themselves, you know. We are a country, we are a nation, we have our own uh, people, you know, our own race of people. We're not just a little satellite cowering under Great Britain, so to speak. And of course, they will seize the advantage, take the advantage and seize the opportunity of claiming anything, you know, the little island. Well, no, it's an an interesting point. I I read out a list of people that they have claimed in the past to be British. And uh, I asked people to text in if I've missed any. And they said, I have. They said, Neil, remember Michelle Smith, who was a British Olympic swimmer until she got banned for tampering with the urine sample. Then she was... An Irish swimmer. Um, also, Neil, you forgot one of the big ones. Katie Taylor has constantly been called British by Sky. They were doing it only a few weeks ago, Katie Taylor being a British boxer. Uh, and Barry McGuigan was British up until he got knocked out in a fight, apparently. Um, when they're doing well, they're British. When they're not doing so well, they're Irish again. Well, they're, they're, they're relegated back to the island the when, they're, when they're not doing well. Yeah, so we don't big ourselves up enough, you're saying, in spite of the fact that when things were good in Europe, they were very good in Ireland, and we were the poster boys of Europe for a long, long time. But did we realise it ourselves, is it? Well, yeah, I mean, we, 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 we allow these little romantic notions to, to creep in, which is great. Uh, you know, we are our own race of people, but we need to be, you know, psychologically alert with uh, you know, the, 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 with Great Britain and, you know, a lot of the people over there, they don't even know where Ireland is or they don't, you know, they don't know anything about the north of Ireland. And, you know, you, you want, you know, you hear people up the, across the border referring to, to the six counties as a country. You know, they don't say we're up here on the island. You know, they, they're very proud of the way they portray themselves on the world stage and they, you know, people recognize it as a country. But you don't, I, I know, well. okay, so big ourselves up. Um, uh, yeah, big ourselves up a little bit and shout out a little bit about our country instead of this island where people are wondering, where is it? Where is oh, okay, but in spite of all of that, what are we going to do about them selectively, um, you know, kidnapping Irish figures and claiming they're British? The likes of Saoirse Ronan, Colin Farrell, uh, Killian Murphy, Bono, Terry Wogan. Yeah, well, they always called Terry Wogan a British broadcaster. What? They, seem, they, they, they don't seem to want Graham Norton, do they? They haven't mentioned him as being British. <laughs> and you would think they would, considering the <laughs> tremendous success of his career. 
Well, you see, they're they're very selective over there, but I mean, they they certainly big themselves up by snatching any little bit of glory they can, even if it is from the Ireland of Ireland. Ireland, uh, they they'll snatch the it British Roars, Paul and Gary O'Donovan. Come on, there you are. Yeah, well, we are just the island after all. Part <laughs> of the little British. <laughs> Don't even go there, <laughs> poor part of nothing British. All right, well, well, you see, that's the way we portray ourselves. That we're constantly denying ourselves, you know, the status of a country and a nation and referring to ourselves and our people as the island. Anyway, thank you, Neil. You're welcome. That's thank right. you, too. I mean, there are a lot of terms, actually, that you kind of sit up and take notice of. I mean, another country can call itself what they want, whether it's Britain or the United Kingdom or what have you. But do you ever kind of do a double take and say, what? When in America, they always call um, the president of America, no matter who's in power, the leader of the free world. I mean, don't you think that that's very condescending and very assuming, the leader of the free world? Does that make the American president our leader, considering that we are part of the free world? Did you know that? that the president of America is our leader? Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Back in a tick. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Got a lovely email in from Bus Air and staff, and it's a great story. More of these, please. Please, so can I share a story about a friend and colleague of mine by the name of Dan Scannell, who works in Bus Air? And last Monday evening, Dan went to a local spa shop in, on Douglas Street for a coffee. And while he was in the queue to pay, he noticed an elderly lady at the checkout loading up her shopping into her bag. Upon payment it turned out she didn't have enough money to cover the cost. Dan, the man jumped the queue, approached the lady and asked the cashier how much she was short. It turned out to be just over six euro. Dan asked the cashier to put six euro onto the bill for his cup of coffee which the cashier did. The lady then asked Dan how she was going to pay him to which he replied, don't worry about it. To be honest, I was very humble to hear the story, but I was even more curious to wonder how those in the ever-growing queue in the shop responded after witnessing this lovely gesture. In fairness, Dan said another person in the queue approached him afterwards and offered to go to the bank machine and put some money towards the cost. Dan declined as it was only six euro. Regardless of the cost, I just wanted to share a story of such a good deed and to tell you that Dan, along with the vast majority of my colleagues in Bus Aaron, do good deeds each and every day like this, whether it's helping elderly people on and off buses and in some cases even trying, even tying the shoelaces of the elderly as they step off buses. There are so many good people out there, not just in Bus Aaron, but in Cork. I just felt this nice gesture from Dan deserved a shout out. Good stories like this always cheer us up. Dan is a very humble man and I know he won't want or expect praise for his good deed. However, I'd still love to see this lovely act of kindness being shared with all of your listeners. Thank you. And I have done just that. Well done to Dan Scannell in Bus Aaron. And to you, whomever you are, for sending me that email because reading it uh, and when you wrote it, it paints a beautiful picture. I can see the queue. I can see Dan in the queue. I can see the elderly lady queuing up. I can see her being short of money. I can see her going to the top of the queue. It's a beautifully told story and a lovely gesture. And thank you for it. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now. 1850-104-106. Red FM. We have a large bespoke abstract art piece for you to win this week. Every day this week we're giving you audio clues and then on Friday we'll make the draw. It's a piece of art by the artist Chris O'Hara. You can get further details at chrisoharaart.com. So it's a large piece, custom created to you, for you, by the internationally renowned artist. And every day this week we will pick 
a different piece of audio that you need to interpret as an art piece and an artist. What I'm saying is you need to identify the piece of art and the artist from a piece of audio. And I'll open the phone lines just before midday today. Uh, Don't call just yet, but this is today's qualifier. This piece of audio hopefully will identify an artist and a very famous piece of art. Get the last bit there. It's quite important. Okay, so we'll open the phone lines on that just before midday. Meanwhile, Killian Pettit did a beautiful piece of work there over the weekend. As Trump would say, it's beautiful. I mean, it's just so beautiful. It has to do with um, Micheál Martin and uh, Michael Healy Ray and their argy-bargy in the doll over the cataract bus. Do you remember that where Michael Healy Ray, rightly so, got very annoyed with Micheál, who was trying to uh, make a kind of a joke at the expense of um, the... Um, Healy Rays and indeed those that travel to the north on the cataract bus. So uh, Killian decided to do a bit of a mashup on this. Uh, and I think it's a great piece of work. Uh, trying to brighten up your day, put a smile on your face. Have a listen to this. I was reliably informed through the chair that Deputy Healy Ray approached people outside the mass to say, well, I can get you on the bus if you want to cataract. The, 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 the woman concerns it. You should take that back. You're a disgrace. I relax, relax. Take that back. God damn it, that's an awful thing to say. I relax, relax. Take that, take that back. You're a disgrace. I relax, relax. Take that back. God damn it, that's an awful thing to say. I relax, relax. You're only in the bottom of the bathroom now. Come here, but that's not the statement. Hand on, hand on. This is the truth. Oh man, Killian, that's a work of art in itself. Well done. Thank you for that endeavor to see the lighter side of things in the world we live in now. Hope you enjoyed that. Might give another spin before midday to Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax. Don't do it. Talking about um, things that the British take as their own. It all comes down to religion. If Ireland converted to Protestantism, we'd still be part of the UK today, says a texter. Another one. As Brenda Fricker said, you're British when you win an Oscar, but you're Irish when you're drunk in Dublin Airport, says Liam in Blackrock. Morning. Don't forget they claimed Paul Meskel from Normal People, says Lisa. Really? When did that happen? Is that the latest one on the list? Paul Meskel now has been claimed to be British. Those rowers only got Olympic silver, didn't they? I'm sure uh, why we did. I'm sure. I'm not sure why we claim them as British, says a cheeky Brit. We'd only claim them if it were a gold medal. Well, you did claim them as British, for I did hear it myself. Regarding the Brits claiming the paddies, Neil, Richie says there are a few names on Neil's list uh, that the Poms are welcome to. In fact, I could add another one or two to the list. What's the difference between Bono and God? God doesn't walk around the place <laughs> thinking he's Bono. <laughs> God doesn't walk around the place thinking he's Bono. <laughs> Keep those coming. I've laughed hysterically like a half a dozen times since nine o'clock this morning, and I hope you guys are the same too. Anyway, Seamus, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? Did um, did did the British ever claim Roy Keane as Irish? As British, I should say. I hope, uh, insofar as his pay packet, maybe they brought him to BBC Sports uh, for, for for match of the day, and he's a great man to watch. He gives Ian Wright and a few others a great laugh on the panel. But I would love, and I love what he stands for. You know, whether you like him or not, and you know, he's. He, is that kind of character? Well, he, he was a great, he was a great soccer player and he's made Brilliant. for television punditry. He really is. Oh, he was. 
And, you know, we had the Ikeno um, plays with Mario, um, not Mario Rosenstock, there was another crowd that did it actually over the, the Saipan saga back in the day. It was, yeah. I think it was released about two or three times. Yeah. I saw them a couple of times myself. But he, he, he's just an enigmatic character. Like, you know, whether you like him or not, he's a big softy in person anyway, but, you know, off the camera. But it's what he stands for when it comes to sport. He's ruthless. I mean, if you look at the, the playback of some of the um, post-match commentary about some of the players today, he calls it out for what it is, and he's a great character. But in light of that and in light of his character, I'd imagine you'd be looking at him wondering, is this an Ikeno uh, play again on BBC, or on BBC Sport? Because if somebody tried to take him up and call him and refer to him as a British um, sports star or something like that, or, or one of his own perhaps, I'd love to see his reaction. I would too. <laughs> <laughs> like, does, does Roy Keane tweet? Is Roy Keane active uh, on social media? I don't I think don't so. I don't know, actually. I don't think so. I think no, the only reason I'm asking is, you know, Gary Lineker is very much in the yeah. news in the UK at the moment because the BBC came out with a directive to tell all of their broadcasters to not to be tweeting and Facebooking personal yeah. opinions, except they gave special dispensation to Gary Lineker, apparently. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, he's the highest paid, isn't he? He's 1.7 million per year. He's their highest paid on uh, uh, as far as I'm aware, like that, that was released there a couple. But of he's weeks, very, uh, he's very. What my point is, he's very opinionated about everything and anything, including Brexit and COVID nineteen. The yeah. works. Whereas you well, never he, hear. He, he, yeah. he dig a hole from as well. As, he dug a hole from himself as well. I think. He, I, I think as far as I'm aware, there was some commentary made on social media regard to the the the, um, the, the, the Tyson Fury match that was uh, upcoming next year, or the the plant um, Tyson Fury. Uh, match and it turns out the Kinnahans were involved and he didn't know what he was talking about and he had to retry, uh, redact on some ah, but I suppose if he it. didn't know they didn't he know didn't the know, intricacies no. at the time you see but you reckon <laughs> I, well I mean I, I saw I saw everybody scrambling for cover when you know when they started to connect all the dots in that one but I bow to your superior sports knowledge but I, I do recall a time when Gary Lineker I know we're kind of gone a bit off topic but didn't he have to present uh, match of the day in his underpants uh I don't actually recall that one. Maybe oh, he did. Was it a bet? I think he, it was a bet or something. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Probably, yeah. Was it something? I vaguely remember something like that. I can't recall it. But. Mark Willington is telling me, yes, he had to present his, un, his match of the day in his underpants when Leicester won the league. Oh, the bet. That's right. 5,000 to 1 or something like that. That's right. Yeah, a couple of years back. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful what you promise. That's what I think. I know. But just imagine Roy Keane's face now. If that panel referred to him as a British sportsman, you know. If Keane was sitting there with the other pundits and somebody tried to pass him a compliment who would be along the lines of, Roy, you know what this is like. You were one of the greatest <laughs> British soccer stars of all time. And then... <laughs> I, think the the, red, I think the camera lens might crack. You know? Then the red mist would descend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you hear the sound of the the the, the, you know, the boiling over teapot. That was the, that was the soundtrack of um of the Ikeno plays back in the day. It was brilliant. Anyway, he, well, he's no character, but he'd be the perfect there. Uh, he, he did a perfect bait for that one. <laughs> nice one, James, as always. Thanks for that. Thanks, Morning. What really makes me bristle with anger is when I hear the 26 counties referred to as the South or Southern Ireland. I think north of the border, those that would be of loyalist persuasion and those that would be nationalistic persuasion refer to the Republic in different terms. Some is the South of Ireland, some is the South, others the Republic. Uh, you can usually ten tell who's who by how they refer uh, to the 26 counties. Uh, it's bad enough that the UK and Northern Ireland politicians use it, but our own politicians, including my own party, Sinn Féin, are guilty of using it. Uh, the Republic of Ireland in UK minds is still under British rule. 
the Republic of Ireland and UK mines is still under British rule. This has to stop. It's a derogatory insult to all our patriots, both living and dead, who paid a huge sacrifice for Irish freedom. The North is the six counties governed by the UK. The Republic of Ireland is self-governing, a democratic state made up of 26 counties. Cork is the real republic, the real capital in the south, says Linda in y'all. Much of that I agree with, but I do not agree that Cork is the real capital. Um, I think it's the best county in Ireland and the best place to be from, but unfortunately we can't claim the capital not yet anyway. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851 04106 Red FM. Oh, so much to do, so much to do. Um, just on the Blackrock Farmers Market, I agree with Elaine uh, saying that people should stop spying and complaining about everyone and everything they see. They should look after their own business. Everything has been taken from us. My 84-year-old mum has said she would prefer to take her chances with COVID than live through this, says Teresa. And you know what? There's an ever-growing amount of people who think that the cure is worse than the disease. Your caller, Elaine, must be seeing things. We drove past yesterday and there were people everywhere in Black Rock. Parked cars were up as far as Eden Hall apartments. Um, the gentleman, you know, why why is that different actually to um, uh, supporters and uh, fans going to watch a match? The gentleman was right about the amount of people being at the pier yesterday. We cycled through the marina and the pier through to or it's Blackrock Castle. The marina walk and the market was insanely packed just before midday. There was a rowing race just before that. So maybe the reason for the increased numbers, at least there was distancing at the little cafe by the marina. Uh, but the Blackrock market was full, so no wonder if people could not fully distance, says Judith. Lads, you need to be very careful because if people are going to be complaining about everything and anything, then everything will be taken away. So just be wary of that. You know, I'm happy to share stories and it's my job not to overly engage in sensorial activity, but be, be careful about complaining about things, um, particularly for those of you that think, you know, maybe we've gone a little bit too far. Because all of these things will be axed if people complain. Uh, I regularly attend the Blackrock Farmers Market and have done so for years. There are signs everywhere. It's the customers themselves that are causing the problems. They're gathering together in groups, meeting friends, even meeting new people with their dogs and starting dog-related conversations. There were a lot of face masks yesterday, though. The individual stalls all have signs, plastic sheets, and they try and organize queuing as much as possible. It's the customers that have become complacent and are not listening to the guidelines and the advice of the stall holders. Morning, I was at Blackrock Market yesterday, 15 minutes after it opened, and I was frustrated by the amount of people not wearing masks. Some say they were, and now others are saying they weren't. Elaine remarked on air that you don't need masks outside. Masks are beneficial outdoors where it's hard to keep two meters apart. It's not a case of people turning on one another, Neil, as you suggest, but people who are adhering to guidelines being frustrated by people who are not. So many people yesterday didn't have masks on. It was very busy. And this was just after it opened. Thank you for those. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. On Friday, I endeavoured to start a conversation with Kay Healy and the phone line wasn't great. I'm so glad that I didn't because over the weekend, I got a chance to catch up with Kay and I had a better conversation and a longer conversation than the five or six minutes that I could have given her on Friday. She's 87 and a half years old. Began her nursing way back in the 1950s, uh, back during the pandemic uh, around the world, but particularly here in Ireland when TB was rampant. And I caught over the weekend, up with her over the weekend, 
uh, for a chat. And we just started actually by comparing and contrasting now and the 50s, right? Does the coronavirus epidemic or pandemic remind you of the TB epidemic at all? Well, you know, there were different times. I mean, with the TB, they were very far-seeing in a way. They built Sarsfield's Court, which, if you know where it is, miles from anywhere. Yeah. And all the... Uh, it was sectioned in blocks. They were one-story building. And then we had the surgical units. But in those days, you see, nurses lived in. We, If you got married, you had to leave nursing, as did teachers. I did everybody so, in the public service, actually, as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so we lived in. But... Uh, they were in blocks and when they went in they were there for at least nine months. So if somebody now, contracted was, TB they went into Sarsfield's court into what was called right. that was called a sanatorium was it? That's right it was. Yeah. It was. Okay. Okay. There was another one in Dublin called Piedmont. And that's where you went uh, for nine months? I, well I was there for nearly probably two years no but, but if I got TB it, that's where oh I'd go yeah. for nine months Yeah. if you had TB you went in there for nine months and if you needed surgery you were in the surgical block which was separate again everything was separate so would the, that have been that would have been um, a form of lockdown for patients then well it was really it was there, there had three the emphasis mainly was on fresh air nutrition and hygiene the place was spotless. The food was out of this world because we had no supermarkets. So obviously everything was produced locally. Now, do you say that this was a highly contagious disease, wasn't it? Well, it was. TB was. In fact, it was around for a lot longer than the 1950s. We're talking about over nearly 100 years, going back to the late 1800s. It was. And it was there a long time. And how did people contract it? And what were the symptoms? What happened to people if they got TB? Well, they had chest problems mainly, you know. It was mainly chest, lung, chest and lung, you know. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, that was it. But I, I think housing maybe mightn't have been as good as it was. Well, certainly 100 years ago, when people lived in housing with not proper heating and probably things weren't as good as they are now, that it, people contacted it and that was it. I think I read somewhere, all right, what you're saying is correct. They said that uh, TB would thrive in tenements and bad Absolutely. housing and poor in ventilation. In enclosed areas where people, like even in Cork, if you think of the old streets where the houses were small and people lived in small houses and in the very old Cork now. Yeah, yeah. And for nine months then, and a lot of them were children, weren't they? Uh, unlike the well, coronavirus... We they were children, but we didn't have many children now. But they said that the figure... The with f- the men. Yeah, but they were saying that more young Irish people were slain by TB than in warfare, particularly up to, say, the First World War, 1914-18, um, or, or indeed maybe all wars. But anyway, the point they were making was that 50% of those that were contracting it were children. Well, they were young with a lot of students as well, young, younger people. Yes, most of them. I don't think we'd any very older people. A lot of them were, as you say, younger people. But then uh, the nutrition wouldn't have been as good as it is now. 
And was it a case that I was reading in the in the Irish or in the Examiner actually? They did an article on on TB Barra ten years ago. They said uh, survivors can still recall the silent terror of TB. A child develops the disease, then a brother contracts it, and before That's you know right. it, his friend a few doors. Down. It was it was highly infectious. It was, it was. But amazingly, we had no masks, we had no special gowns, we had nothing except gloves. Everything had to be recycled, syringes, needles, everything. Nothing was thrown away anyway in those days. So there's no disposable needles or syringes? Not you at all. No, no. I, I steal the good needles to give the injections. I hated this uh, recycling of needles. I thought it was terrible. That was the way it was. But I never knew any of us getting TB. Never. Uh, As in, as in the staff or nurses, is it? As uh, yeah, but you see, we in a way we were semi-enclosed because we lived in, and we had a beautiful nurses' home. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, it's a wonder. It's a wonder you didn't get sick. Sorry? It was a wonder you, that none of you got sick if it was so highly contagious. No, no, no. I never knew anybody who got it. Uh, of course, the food was fabulous. And then we had lots of fresh air. I mean, it was real country living, if you like. So proper food, which a lot of people wouldn't have been used to, uh, healthy food, fresh food, lots of fresh Absolutely. air, but no, but no masks. And when the patients were there for up to nine months... How, would they be very sick? I mean, how would they pass the time? Well, you see, it was divided. I would say in the medical place where there were ambulances, they could walk around and everything. They were willing to walk around and interact with each other. Whereas in the surgical block, they needed surgery and that. But again, we had no ICU. There was no ICU then. When um, they had their operation, we had to special them. And a nurse was designated to sit with them until they came round, until they were stable and everything. But um, in the medical block where they had uh, TB, but then they got the medicine and the injections and they went through the whole course of treatment and they came out okay. Um, with, With people in for that long length of time, uh, in Sarsfields Court, for example, could they have visitors, or was that you know we, yeah, we, at the we moment now we're talking about nursing homes and healthcare facilities yeah. where people can't oh, go I and know. visit? Oh, I know it was terrible, terrible. Yeah. now. it's awful now. No visitors came at weekends, and it, they met in in one area, and it was it was lovely when the visitors came. But you know they, they were terribly happy. I never remember them, you know, being depressed or. They were very happy. But then, as I say, it was like family, you know. We had, we were away from home. So, obviously, we had to talk to them. And we all interacted with each other in a kind of a homely way, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's just because there was like one year alone, it said, in Dublin, TB killed more than 10, that was killing more than 10 people, 10,000 people a year. And more than half right. of them were children. Did you witness deaths in Sarsfields Court? Uh, it, uh, I did a few, not many. We did have, I can't remember his name. We did have, um, I'm sure he was um, a pathologist. Do you remember you that lady on, Mary, uh, what's her name, Cassidy? He was one of those. We did have him. But 
I, I wouldn't have had, I, I didn't have money debts, no. No, no. No, mm. not money, thankfully. So nobody wore a mask. There was lots of no. fresh air, we, we, lots of fresh was, food. The only time masks were worn was in the operating theatre. Um, did you also say that in Sarsfield Court during the TB pandemic or epidemic that there was was a pandemic was all over the world that there was a few romances struck up is that right? Uh, well, well, yes, but they didn't last. You know, <laughs> they were just well, they were very simple. Ah, harmless, I know. But I suppose if you're around somebody for nine months, you're bound exactly. to take a draw to each other yeah, at some You stage. have to develop a relationship, but it, it went no further, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it, it couldn't anyway, you yeah. know. And how how do you think they got a handle on TB in the end? I think probably it was the way they handled it at the time. I think they kept them isolated. And they. I, I really think that they just kept them away. I mean, the rest of the world went on as normal outside of the sanatoriums. I mean, nothing stopped. The world didn't stop. And when you and see... I think they yeah. handled it very well. And when you see us going in and out of different levels and being in lockdown and coming out oh, about... I don't what? know. I, I don't know. I know there are different times, but I'm not so sure... I know. I, I, I prefer the old way anyway, you know. You see, that's half the problem. At my age, I probably would anyway, you know. Yeah, but we just, you know, I suppose nobody wants to be, no. on, you know, different I, levels. What I, what I personally think is, when it started, if they had, say, a place like Sassy's Court or, say, one hospital where there are a few, they could take over and, say, have the ill patients, not the ones who have very little symptoms, but let's say the ICU who needed more acute nursing care and isolated them there and had specialist nurses looking after them and that would free up the ICU beds in the normal hospitals. Now I have two daughters, one is in the Mercy and one in Dublin worked through the COVID thing in the beginning and the girl in Dublin found it very upsetting. Why? It was quite upsetting. Why? But I feel... Why? Was she, de- was she dealing with... them at the beginning. Was she dealing with ICU cases, she was? She, she was. Yeah, she everything. would. She had been a theatre manager, but they closed theatre and opened up a covert ward. Yeah, you would and find that upsetting, dealing with people who are trying to hang on to well, life. She, she did find it quite upsetting, all right, especially the fact that, that the family couldn't come in when they were dying. Yeah, yeah. Do you think, that yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, actually, isn't it, that your daughters followed you into nursing and William followed his dad into photography. That's a good one. I suppose, I suppose, yeah. you know. It's and forced. you worked alongside Dr. Morris Hickey, who was a cork uh, yeah. man. Oh, and he, he was a wonderful, wonderful he, man. Wasn't he, the, man. he was the pioneering person. Irish heart surgeon, wasn't he? He was. He, he was a fantastic man. He, he, he really was. He did great work. And his work... Establishing TB sanatoria saved thousands of lives, didn't it? Absolutely, he definitely he was he was a, a really great a great surgeon. And after it after it all passed, um, you continued with your nursing career because uh, you had been very young at that stage. Where did you go? I I left uh, Sassy's Court <laughs> for a very simple reason. I was being transferred from my beloved men to theatre and I would have been no good in theatre. Absolutely hopeless. And 
uh, I went to St. Luke's. That was the old St. Luke's up in Military Hill, yes. which is now the ambassador. Yeah, yeah. That I was a, that was a, that was a, a Protestant home, I believe, for people who were ill. It, it was. It began. Uh, Fanny Greg founded it in, I think, eighteen seventy nine or sometime, and it, her father would have been the Protestant bishop of course. That's right. Yeah, it's a hotel. And, now, I mean, yeah. they were wonderful people in those days. And again, that was a frightfully happy place. In fact, and it was again, so happy. Tell me the story about the couple who got married there. Oh, yes. Well, we did have, we had some wonderful people. I must tell you one, about one special lady as well. We did have a beautiful elderly couple. I mean, nowadays it happens all the time, but in those days, maybe not as much. And they met in there and they got married and they moved out and they were very happy. Now, not everybody was, I mean, you know, they were mobile and they moved around. They were simply like in the care homes nowadays. They, they were elderly and they needed care. Mm, mm. And they moved out. But we had another wonderful lady. Um, she was called uh, Miss, we always called her Miss. Everybody was Miss anyway. Uh, Miss Emily Jack. And she was, had been, um, oh, in a carer, um, governess actually, to the show of Russia. God. And his children. And, um, uh, she used to tell us about Rasputin and everything and the history of Amazing. the times, you know. Did she meet Rasputin? Oh, yes, of if, course. If she was the governess there, to the Tsar of Russia, she would have met Rasputin, yeah. She would have, of course. And she used to tell us he had great influence Big time. with the show. And actually, um, a wonderful journalist called Annie Stevens, who came down and lived in Cork. She actually died about two years ago in St. Luke's and Mahan. And she wrote a beautiful book about St. Luke's. And it's all about her and the history of St. Luke's. Where did Annie Stevens Stevens come from, do you know? Uh, She was from Belfast, North of Ireland. Was Was she a newspaper editor? I don't know what she was. She was in the Belfast Telegraph. Did you go, did she go, do you know if she went to church on the Black Rock Road? Well, she could have done. She lived down there, yeah, of course. You know something? Last year I was at a church service on the Black Rock Road in there and I was sitting next to her. You're joking. Honest to God. And she was the most interesting woman. I spent half an hour chatting to her about her life. I know. You can talk to her forever. I'm so sorry to hear that she passed away. A beautiful, beautiful woman. And I helped her. I helped her with the book because from William's father, I had all the photographs, the old, old photographs, you know. And what's the book about again? Forgive me. What's it about, Kay? I, I, you know, I guess I'll send you a copy of it. That'll be superb. Oh, my God. I'll give William a copy of it. Thank you so much. And... You know, she's one signed now by me, and it gives the history of St. Luke's when it started, and the new St. Luke's, which is in Man, which is again a most wonderful place. And Mary Robinson, when she was president, she opened it. Uh, but Annie lived, she did live in Black Rock, and she married um, Joe Stevens. She'd come down to care for his children, I think, when his wife died. Well, that's an, isn't it a very small world? I'm looking forward to that It's book. amazing that I, you met her. I did hear, oh, she, I did hear that when you were in, I did hear when you were in the old St. Luke's, um, that one couple, the bride was 70 years of age and you yeah. helped prepare her for her wedding. She got married at 70. I did, of course. <laughs> I did. I did. And, and good old Kenneth Salter, which you probably knew. Poor man. He's now not living in Cork at the moment. But um, 
he, he was the rector there. Of course, he was fantastic to all of us. Amazing. And you know, it was it was a a very friendly, lovely place to work in. And I tell remember. me, how do you how do you what do you put down to your long life and your very sharp memory? Well, uh, if the rest of me now was as good as my memory, I would be doing fine. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, I, I do have... I don't know. I think... You see, I always loved, um, say, reading and poetry and things like that. And I, I love people. You know, I kind of... Um, that's why I wouldn't work in theatre, because I prefer... You're a people person. Working a, a more bedside type of nursing I liked. Well, it's, it's. I actually worked until I was sixty-eight. Get away out of that. Get away. Yeah. Well, that's amazing because my mother-in-law, the late Kitty Lenahan, was a nurse as well, and she loved people. Oh, she. Yeah, and, and she. Where, where was she? Nursing? Ah, she was everywhere. She was in. She was in the South Infirmary. She nursed. Um, she nursed in England during the Second World War, during the Blitz. Yeah. With bombs going oh off all around gosh, her, that and, must have been. and later in later in her career, then she came out of retirement and she nursed in the old Lindville home. You remember that? I do indeed. I remember Lindville very well. And she loved people just like you love people. Well, listen, yes. I'm so delighted I got an opportunity to catch up with you. I hope I didn't plague you with questions. Not at all. No, it was lovely talking to you. And listen, I, I'll send you on the book now. Um, Thank you so much, Kay. Uh, called Luke here and. I think you will enjoy it because uh, you like history, I think. So it would be a good bit of history of Cork as well. I'll read it and I'll let you know how I get on with it, okay? Oh, by the way, the, when, when I was here, I was telling Seamus, I don't think you'd be interested now because it's not relevant, but it, it will tell you how close we were. In in Southfield Court, they actually wrote a poem about me. The, oh. the rest, the, the patients, I mean. Is it a long poem? Not really. Do you have it no. there? I have it in my head. <laughs> Why doesn't that surprise me? <laughs> Go on. Recite the poem for me. Will I tell you? Please do. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. My family will kill me for this now. But anyway, well, I, I'll say quickly anyway. We when first I came to Sastry's Court, it was all so new to me. And who did I see making eyes at me? Nurse Murray R.I.T. Or should dish, for dishing not pass? Our needle in the ass. There was none as good as she. She has dainty hips, always smiling lips, nurse, or RIT. <laughs> Things went quite all right until one night. Down to Gypsy Rose when she. Now she's flying round with her feet off the ground, nurse, or RIT. The gypsy said, Are they all in bed? It is nine o'clock, you see. Can't you see by your ball? They aren't at all, said nurse, or RIT. Now I have spent some time with this lung of mine in the block where they're treating me and I'm lucky to be with the girl from Tralee, Nurse Maria R.I.T. Or for dishing out pass or needle in the ass, there is none as good as she and whenever we go, we'll be awful slow to leave Maria R.I.T. That's the loveliest poem. A little birdie did tell me, all right, that you left the patients up must much later than 9pm. Of course I did. Of course we did. But you know, there is such a thing as compassion. Ah, good girl. Well, listen, it's lovely. Isn't there? That's lovely. It's lovely talking to you. Thanks so much for taking the call. And, and thank you, Neil, very much. And you too, Kay Healy. Bye-bye. Okay, darling. Bye. 
Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 1850-104-106. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did chatting with her, Kay Healy, 87 and a half years old. And her maiden name was Moriarty. And you heard her recite that wonderful poem at the end of it. And uh, the patients absolutely loved her back in the day. And so say all of us. Wonderful woman. And uh, what a great brain. What a fantastic power of recall. That I'd be anywhere like her now at that age. I can't, I'm not even as good as her at this age. But she's in great, great fettle. Now, it's interesting. I know her son very well, William uh, Healy from Healy and Remington, the photographers and her son. William is a superb photographer and a great portrait photographer as well. So we covered a lot of uh, covered a lot of ground there, and that was from the 1950s when TB uh, was rampant in Ireland. And I was doing a lot of research into this ahead of my conversation. But then, if you ever heard the term consumption, it was the same thing. It was the layman's name for the disease, um, graphically describing the effects of untreated tuberculosis. Uh, was an article that was written for the Irish Times, and unfortunately. Back then, as opposed to now, TB killed an awful lot of children. Those that contracted at 50% of them were children. And TB back in the day thrived in tenements, places where there was bad sanitation, where there was poor ventilation. And they say that back in the day, or at least the Irish, or sorry, Dan Buckley in an article in The Examiner said that spitting for years a national pastime in Ireland proved a ready source of the flying bacteria. Now, you would look on and say, that's disgusting if you ever saw somebody spitting in public, but apparently an awful lot of people did it way back in the day. But enough of me for hogging the conversation. Teresa, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I just heard that lovely, lovely lady on the radio and it just brought back about my mom. My mom is 90. And I remember mom telling us the story that, that she had it and a lot of her friends had it. And you're right, it's like, it's, it killed a lot of young because mom was telling me a lot of her friends died from it. And I'm a bit nervous now, Neil. You're a grand. I mean, she was a yeah, super woman. I'd love to conversation with her. Yeah. She's, she's fantastic, Neil. She's 90 now. She's housebound, but she's great upstairs. She's fantastic. Um, I remember mom telling me that, like, even still to this day, she sleeps with her window open. Um, it was like she was away for two years. Dad used to go and visit her every And when you say, uh, pardon me for cutting across you now because you're going no, there like a train. Fine. When you say no, she was fine. away for two years, talk, talk to me about that. Yeah, she was, because she had it in her lung and she had half her lung removed. Was yeah, she in Sarsfield TV? Court, do you think? She was in Sarsfield Court, Neil, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For, for in the TB sanatoria for two years? Yes. For two years, she was away, and my eldest brother, who's dead now, Robert, and my eldest sister Marie, they were only two and nearly three at the time, and she she never saw the the two children for the two years. For and two Dad years. used to go down every week. He'd visited visit the weekends. Her. He did, yes. And then he started to write her letters, <laughs> and then Dad died in 1990, and we found a book of love letters that he used to write to Mom. She it kept was lovely. Yeah, oh. yeah. So she had, you know, she looked forward to the letters then ev- all the time. Are there many of those letters? Oh my God! There's a book. There's a, a letter book. Yeah, of love letters from dad to mom. You should publish yeah, yeah. those. You know. And he was very holy, very good living, and he had great faith in Our Lady. And he's always mentioned Our Lady in the letters to mom. I know. Yeah, yeah. 
She went on then when she came out to have eight more children, is it? Eight more children, yes, 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 yes. And the one lung never held her back in any way, shape or form? Never. She was great. Now, she was only seven stone, just barely on seven stone, but she, she, she's a fighter. She was an only child. And what did she tell Um, you about the two years in in Sarsfield Court? About the two years, it was just like, she had a best friend, only 23 at the time, with beautiful long black hair. And she was getting married and she came out and mom was still in, in Sarsfield's court and she passed on me. She died. Mm. And like mom was also telling me that there was a family down the road with loads of children and they all contacted us and they all died. It was just rampant me. Dan Buckley and the examiner said, now this is some of the work that I was doing ahead of the interview. This is 10 years ago and he was, I mean, here we are now. Yes. Little did you know, 10 years ago when Dan was writing this, he said, survivors can still recall the silent terror. A child developed yes. the disease, then a brother contracts it and his friend yes. a few doors down is next and yes. so on and yes. so on. In yes. Dublin alone, it killed more than 10,000 people a year. More than 50% of them children. Yes. And it was horrible. Yeah, yeah. Huge All families, like, families, mom was saying to me, families wiped out, just, you know, gone, all her friends gone, you know. It was just like, and like what you said, the silence, you know, like, I mean, they were there for two years. It, it was hard. It good, was hard. But she spoke about good, fresh food and lots she of did. ventilation. Yes, yeah. yes. Ventilation, yes, yes, yes. Where's the houses even, we build now? Have you seen the new houses they're building I, now with I, all of the green I, technology I that's gone into them? They're like, yes, they're yes. sealed units. That's right. That's right. And to but tell it's me... like that nurse said, you know, it was just like um, the consumption. It was just like the houses long ago. It was just, you know, it was just no ventilation, no nothing. They all lived in crowded houses, meal and small little houses. I remember we lived in a house in Blarney Street. I was born at home in Blarney Street. Amazing. A small little house. Yeah. yeah. Outdoor loo and in some cases in the tenements yeah. where people were living, shared loos. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Different and, times, Neil. Yeah. And Teresa, did your mam did your mam hear my chat there a while ago? Did you hear the chat with Kay on it? No, 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 but I'd be going over now later and I will say to her, I will, yeah, because she turned ninety on the seventh of June. Well, I think it would be a lovely thing for her if you could. I think the podcast goes up and do you know how to get a podcast and things like that? I do, I do. Play it, play it for her. Would you do that? I, I will, I and, will, of course. And would you come back to me then and it. let me know what she thinks about what she heard then? Pick it up with me during the I week. will. I promise you that, Neil. I promise you that. Don't let me down. Thanks, Teresa. Cheers. I Take won't. Care. Bye-bye, Neil. Thank Looking you. Looking forward to talking to you in the next couple of days. All right. Uh, I had surgery there from Professor Morris Hickey, who was referred to the interview there with uh, with Kay. I have lived a very helpful life, healthy life, I suppose. He was a brilliant surgeon. I lived only because of him. He wouldn't even take a fee for it. A great man. He, had a, he hadn't a great manner, but he was truly brilliant. <laughs> I'm 76 now. Morning, Neil. Thanks so much for that story. Kay was a breath of fresh air. We need to hear more stories like that. Keep those texts coming. Another one here. What a gem of a woman. A joy to listen to. And her mind is so sharp. It's as sharp as a pin, says Joan. Text 0868104106. Phil, good morning. Oh, good morning, Neil. Regular contributor. I always look forward to her chance. Do you heard Kay on the air there? I did. And you know, it brought me back years. Because I had an uncle who was there for some time. Now, I'm going back to the 40s, Neil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, do you remember Sean O'Reardon? Uh, he was Irish poet. I, I, did, I did his poetry in secondary school. 
Oh, did you? Yeah. Because he and there's a plaque now outside the ball because we live next door to them. And where did he live? He did in Scarra. Okay. Okay. I wonder where I wonder where your uncle was because the Sarsfields Court, the sanatorium, didn't open till 1956. So I wonder where was he? Finbars, maybe. Uh, I don't know, but I do remember him in um, Sarsfields uh, Court because we used to go down. Well, my parents and us as children, and it was the weekend. And he would, you know, they'd all be sitting outside with coats and hats, you know, because they felt the cold. And it was the weekend visit. And were the visits outdoors? Yes. Okay. Oh, it was. Yeah, it was. Well, that time anyway, uh, need that I remember, that I was only a child. Fresh air, fresh air, fresh air. Fresh air, fresh air, fresh air. That was it. But then there was fresh air there at the time. But he spent years there. No, he didn't die because of TB. He actually got MS. Some years later. Later on, yeah. Yeah, TB in his and 40s. No, he was early. He died when he was only 40. Ah, uh, go away. He that died was... from M- MS, yeah. At that age? Yeah, he was. He, and they lived in Columny. My mother would be from Columny. Uh, do, do you, so you don't, do you recall visiting him? Oh, I do. And talk to me Wouldn't about you? when you were down, I mean, like there were... There's something, but I know you wanted to pick up on fresh, fresh veg and fresh food, and everything was fresh yes. and nothing was processed. Yes. Yeah, yes. No, uh, you see, they, there was a big, you know, because it was in isolation. The Sarsfield Court at the time. I mean, it was there, but there was no building near it, and they used to grow all their own vegetables. So they had all that. And so do you have? Do you have a recollection of people with TB coming into the out, coming at the outdoors at the weekend? All wrapped up to visit fa- for family visits. Oh yes, yeah. oh gorgeous! Everybody, because that was the only time you could visit. And the weekend said, "No, as I said, I was a new child." But I do remember that all the people and some of them very young Neil. Oh, it was all different you know? wings. You see, there would have been an adult male, adult female, and children were separated. Yeah, yeah. Yes, but he would have been in his thirties at the time. But as I said, he came over there and he was fine. And then he got MS. But it was Sean O'Reardon. And there's a plaque outside the wall outside. His mother had a shop. And he lived with his mother and her sister. And the, we had an outside toilet. There was no toilets indoors in that time. And, you know, if we had to go to the toilet during the night, we had to go to the back. And you could see, you know, the light, which was a candlelight shining from the back room in Sean's house. And he would be writing and writing and writing all hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. He was the most unusual man. And he was absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's a plaque outside of that wall now in memory to him. Yeah, he lived a long in, life, in, though, didn't he? He did. He what well, he did, but he was in and out of um, Sarsfield's court. Oh God, for many, many, Go many years. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. never got. You know, TB just stayed with him. It was a killer. It was an absolute killer. All right. It, it was. It was. It was. Thanks, but Phil. Thanks so much. All right, Neil. Weekend it. visits. That's the way it was. And uh, anyway, we'll come back on this and lots more besides in the morning. I just mentioned there earlier on that we have a piece of a large bespoke abstract art piece, which will be custom created for you. So you actually can get involved in the creation 
of your piece of art from the artist Chris O'Hara. You can get further details and take a look at some of his work at his website, chrisoharaart.com. Specializing in colorful and affordable abstract art. And he's a big, he's a big hit actually with uh, uh, high profile clients uh, who love his work and you can have a piece as well. So every day, a little piece of audio, you need to guess the famous artist and painting from the audio clue. So this is what we played earlier on this morning. Uh, but I need both. I need the artist and the piece, the name of both. Okay, have a listen. end of that piece of audio is the important bit I think so lines open now and caller nine and every caller thereafter until we get a right answer name the artist and the famous famous piece of art on one 106 go for it call the Neil Prenderville show now 1850-104-106 Red FM and you can text 0868-104-106 Neil should watch the late late show as Ryan Tuberty claims that anyone who drinks Guinness is Irish, which means there's an awful lot of Irish people all around the world with no Irish in them at all. The Irish claim Jack Charlton's team, when they were winning, it swings both ways, to be fair. Ah, the team's Irish. I mean, Jack Charlton may not have been Irish, although I'm sure if we trace his ancestors back far enough. Uh, from an Englishman in Cove who's been living here for 30 years, the Irish claim Jackie Charlton, we're all part of Jackie's army. Yeah, but I don't think anybody ever wrote that Jackie was Irish. I mean, we loved him. Um, anyway, you know where I'm coming from. Okay, uh, so I think we're getting a qualifier sorted here. Now, as soon as I get a surname and a full address, I'll bring it to you. But our lines will stay open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six, and we'll do a little bit more work. Uh, and I'd love to get your contributions as as well on rental property prices now on Leaside because it's been driven and fueled now by people back in Cork from around the country, yeah, because their offices and their workplaces and they're working remotely. So it's putting extra pressure now on rental uh, prices and indeed the availability of stock. So well done to Janice Warren from Ballyvalan who correctly answered today's audio piece and gets into Friday's final. Today's audio piece was Edvard Munch and the Scream. So by Friday we'll have five qualifiers and then we'll pick a winner for a large bespoke abstract art piece custom created by Chris O'Hara. And I hope to have an opportunity to talk to Chris later in the week because he has a very interesting story to tell of going from boom to bust and back again. It's an inspiring story and I hope I have an opportunity to get him uh, to share it with us. But our lines will stay open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I promised I'd play this one more time before we left because it's a remix. I played it earlier on just to brighten your day. Thanks to Killian Pettit for making it available to me. This is me, Hall and Michael. I was reliably informed through the chair that Deputy Healy Ray approached people outside the Mass to say I can get... Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.